the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five UFC flyweight fights with special guest co-host Drake Riggs. Hello? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-point baller. I wish I was like six foot nine so I could get with Leoshi cause she don't know me but yo she's really fine. You know I see her all the time everywhere I go and even in my dreams I can scheme a way to make her mine. Cause I know she's living fat, her boyfriend's tall and he plays ball so how am I gonna compete with that? Cause when it comes to playing basketball I'm always last to be picked and in some cases never picked at all. So I just lean up on the wall or sit up in the bleachers with the rest of the girls who came to watch they man ball. Dad y'all I never understood black weather jocks get the fly girls and me I get the hood rats. I Tell them scat, skittles, kebab, got hit with a bottle, and in a hospital for talking that mess. I confess it's a shame when you're living in a city that's the size of a box and nobody knows your name. Hey yo, what's up everybody? Dan Tom here with the Tech Your Neck Podcast. You might see me on MMA Junkie and the Action Network, but this year program, we break down high-level MMA, but in a slightly different way. We're bringing it back, baby. I know I've been t- teasing it, kind of like teasing that I'm eventually going to get on Stitcher. <laughs> eventually going to get on SoundCloud. Woo! But we did bring the top fives back. It's been tough. But uh, your boy here has some new evergreen duties, which reinforces uh, these kind of things, which also reinforces why I love to do this kind of stuff in the first place, why I even like this godforsaken sport in the first place. Perhaps my co-host has similar sentiments. I'm not going to speak for him. He is someone who you guys know, especially the YouTubers. Sorry we're not live for you guys. want to give you guys a nice quality for this show, but uh, I know you guys appreciate the man next to me. Of course, you could find him over at MMA Media, MMA Fighting Forbes, many other bylines, many other places, but find him at, on Twitter. Uh, at least that's where if you want to find everything at the name tag you see, at Drake Riggs underscore. What is up, Drake? What is up, man? It's been a long time coming. We've been discussing collaborating in some form for many months now. And, uh, you know, it's just a very busy time for both of us. A lot going on all the time in this space, as we talked about off air. But, uh, yeah, very excited. Happy to be here. Happy to finally do something. And, uh, yeah, you hit all the bylines. That's all I got these days. It used to be a lot more before, of course, as we kind of have to juggle in this space again. But, uh, yes, we're keeping it to as much of a minimum as we can nowadays, which is very nice. And, uh, you know, keep everything on one plate for I guess you could say. (laughs) Yeah, well, like we were talking about, you know, from the, you know, the mutual listeners we share to like even my experience um, being introduced and following your work, uh, a lot of it was through YouTube, you know, so it's kind of cool to see that you've kind of kept that, that similar following, like you said, which is the case for many of us, you know, we're having to work multiple, multiple uh, gigs, juggling all at the same time. So let's just give a quick shout to the hardcores who uh, follow us and are already given a like to this video. So shouts to you guys. All right. All right. Uh, Also, another reason why uh, just, you know, keeping that same energy, not just not just saying it to puff up my guy on air here. uh, I'll keep the same energy, (laughs) peel back the curtain. Uh, A a, a big reason why I like Drake is not not because of the shared uh, awesome listeners, though. That is a a perk and a bonus. Um, Drake, you know, and I I presumed right here because I ran this by him. He seems like the kind of guy when I would see his, you know, whether it was his talking head stuff, doing panels through other outlets or his interviews, uh, seemed like a guy who liked to bring attention to like things that weren't really getting attention, things that he thinks and many people like I think are cool um, that, you know, maybe not getting their due daps or attention they deserve. And you guys know I'm all about that energy. It's very endearing to me. And perhaps kind of apropos to our subject, we're going to be breaking down our top five UFC flyweight fights. Now, Drake, I shot a, 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 a you know, a, I took a shot in the dark 
because of you know your your, your uh, uh, presumed proclivities, assumed you might want to jump on this train. Um, what did you think of this topic, and and do you kind of sentiment as far as uh, flyweights fitting the bill for people who don't get enough love in this space? I mean, honestly, Dan, like I think since the beginning of I don't know, maybe this their overall existence in MMA, they haven't gotten enough love. Because if you think about it, like it took a while for them to even get to the UFC. Once they did get to the UFC, they did, I think, a pretty good job of spotlighting because they were brand new and whatnot. We'll obviously get into that, I'm sure, more here. But then over time, it kind of slipped away as Demetrius's reign really kind of gathered on. And that's something that is a whole different topic of maybe why and whatnot. But uh, as it, the time has gone on, I think it's come back a little bit with the more recent title fights. But again, we're having our first um, headliner this uh, coming week. At the time of recording here uh, in the UFC, the next event will be a flyweight headliner, which is what I think I saw a stat somewhere. I could totally be wrong here, but I feel like it was the first one. And it's been like years. And I, I off the top of my head, I'm going to assume, well, I guess Figueredo and Moreno did headline. Uh, but like fight nights anyway, it's been since... Benavidez and Figueredo, I think. So ultimately, what I'm getting at is, yeah, I think the the division is a great one to spotlight. Uh, throughout the history, they've always been one that I think as people have paid more and more attention to the division, you can see that, all right, all these fights are more often than not pretty awesome. And so everyone's always kind of, at least, you know, those hardcore fans we see online and social media and whatnot, they're always imploring more love for the flyweights. And... The more the merrier, I say. And so <laughs> we can give it to him here. Uh, I was excited for uh, you to mention this division to me. And um, happy to happy to really dive into all, all the goodness that has come throughout uh, the years that they've been, you know, getting more and more love. And the more that we can give them, let's do it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's funny. So we'll just do, a, I guess, a brief history. Now, off the top, when we do top five featherweight wars that was one we did on this podcast uh back in the day right obviously these lists are subject to change um so in this one these lists aren't as these more broader stroke lists aren't as evergreen for quote-unquote evergreen content i mean this is it, it, it's it's historical content which kind of fits in an evergreen and it's important uh Secondly, whether we're talking about featherweight wars, there are some fights that just stand the test of time, like Aldo and Mendez is probably not moving out of anybody's top five, nor should it, from UFC 178. And without spoiling anything from this list, I have a surprising amount of, I guess, older flyweight fights. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a new division. We were only about a decade old from the UFC here. But, you know, without spoiling my list, a lot of these older fights actually, you know, withstood the test of time as far as my taste. Again, this is completely subjective. We're not doing the top five definitive all-time this is our top five. So I'm going to be giving you my top five. Drake's going to be giving you his top five. It will be different. It will be same in some places. Maybe we'll have same fights, but in different places. Uh, and I will, of course, give you guys love, too, at the end. Before we do honorable mentions, we will go to listener list. And whatever we miss from there, we'll clean up in honorable mentions, mentions. of course, at the PYN podcast. If you want to follow the show on all social platforms, I don't pollute your feed, but it is real useful, especially now with the top five shows. Of course, I come with to you guys all the time for uh, the breakdown shows, right? But uh, these are, are, are important as well and, and important to follow the platform as well as me at Dan Tom and May. Um, I will tweet these out or post these on Instagram or wherever I end up social platform wise right now it's kind of a race to milk everybody for more money who can be the most uh, destructive billionaire once that contest hopefully ends and we're maybe still here maybe I'll I'll settle on a social platform but for now 
It's where you guys can find me. Um, but yeah, like uh, so this so, so so this division, right? It, it it's you know starts in in roughly you know 2012. We've got. Uh, the, the tournament, which we'll get into, and I won't talk about too much of those fights in case they end up on either of our lists. But before that, even you know, 2012 to 2011, you have this crazy time, right, where um, UFC is, you know, and and it's funny. I want to shout. Speaking of lighter divisions not getting love, uh, I want to shout uh, my guy Sam Yang on the Southpaw podcast and subscribe to his Substack. He recently did a piece on pound for pound. It is really excellently written, especially with the UFC, uh, their merger with the WWE. It really makes people uh, like Sam and other historians who, whether or not you're a pro wrestling fan, you cannot deny the wrestling connections. And we are much more closer to pro wrestling, uh, especially now these days, even now these days, I should say, um, than ever before, more, more than any kind of traditional sports league. And whether it's traditional sports leagues or wrestling alike or circus acts, Big men, big things, big animals like elephants, big strong men, right? These are, are natural attractions. I, I I I pissed off even more of my colleagues by going at them more with the whole body work and counters getting undervalued. But again, it, it, it that, that parlays to the same thing too. That doesn't speak to size. I'm speaking to style there. But, it, I'm, but what I'm speaking to is actual human nature, right? Whatever's big and dazzling gets our attention, whether it's a big strong man a big elephant, a dazzly spin kick. This has been ingrained to us since we were babies, which is why, even with the technology of today, why are they still producing toys that are just really flamboyant and jingly jangly? Because that stuff gets our attention, right? That's why we pay attention more toward the negative comments than the positive ones. This is, this is, I'm not talking out of my ass here. This is basic human nature and it's factually evident everywhere, but okay. Um, this is what it is. So <laughs> I'm not condemning and I'm not saying, you are a bad person. The world is completely upside down. Like, no, we get it. We get why this is. And, and and then to this point, that is kind of why. And in that, you get, you know, lighter weight classes, whether it's the UFC's lightweight division, that actually has a very similar history um, to the flyweight division as far as tournaments, four-man tournaments mm-hmm. that went awry, right? Right? You know, because they had the one with BJ Penn, Sarah, Kao Uno, Right, uh, I don't know if it was was it was Din Thomas in that one. I forget. Sorry, but it goes to a draw, and just like you know, when the UFC after they absolve and kind of take things, just like the the pro wrestling did, right? Uh, Vince McMahon mm-hmm. taking down the territories. You've got UFC back to my 2011. I, I I lose the thread, but I pick it up. People back 2011, 2012. <laughs> you know they're absolving Strike Force WEC, which was the hallmark for the lighter weight divisions, which was yes. funny because not even they, and I love WEC, and this is not like a criticism, but to further the point, not even they had a 125-pound division, you know, which is probably why we had guys like Antonio Benuelos, who was like fighting with a beer belly at Bantamweight. Like, you don't see that anymore, you know? Shouts to Benuelos. Yeah. I'm not trying to pick on the guy. I've got I've got more of the Antonio Benuelos than a Joseph Benavidez uh, build <laughs> here, okay? So believe me, I'm not hating. I'm just saying... It, it it almost opened the division for, for for some of these guys these you know these hallmark 135 guys like the Benuelos or the Scotty Jorgensons of the world or others and I don't want to start burning names who would eventually make drops down right or even 145ers that would make drops down to 135 like Uriah Faber and in that when everybody was trying to find their new weight divisions the UFC opened up of course another option right they opened up flyweight they opened it up with a four man tournament between Demetrius Johnson who would fight Ian McCall. Uh, over in Australia, I believe it was UFC on FX2. Um, yeah, it was March 2nd, 2012. I have the date here. This is the official opening, right? And the other part of the four-man tournament, you have uh, uh, Yoshihiro uh, Arishitani versus Joseph Benavides. 
Of course, this was an opportunity to UFC, you know, even though they're not great at marketing fighters, even when they tried to market fighters back then, when that was still their business, they weren't the greatest at marketing Japanese fighters, but they, they did try here and there. You know, they did try to bring guys over when they had an excuse. They had an excuse now uh, to bring Urishitani over. And, you know, if we're talking about finishes there, that was that was a fun fight. Of course, you know, without spoiling it too much, the tournament is kind of withheld because you have a, a, a draw uh, that kind of gets fumbled on the scorecards for the Ian McCall DJ fight. I don't want to talk too much into that in case it comes up. And, of course, we have to wait to get a resolution, and that doesn't happen until later in the year, uh, where the UFC, in between that time before crowning its champion and launching the tournament, slowly begins to start to have flyweight fights, and I won't name those either because those could also be on the list. It was a fun time, but uh, that's kind of my basic setup to it. Please uh, join in here, Drake, and fill in any blanks and things that I'm missing off the top of my head as far as the setup goes. Uh, I don't know. I think you laid that out all pretty good there, Dan, and I'm not surprised that you did, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, th I think you covered it all pretty well. I I'm ready to, to further on. <laughs> all right. Ready to rock. All right. So now we have, uh, you know, 125, they go through their period in like 2018 or so, 2017, where they call it the flyweight purge. I mean, even UFC broadcasters on UFC broadcasts have, have called it this, right? This isn't just <laughs> our perception. That's how kind of obvious it was. Thankfully, that didn't completely go away like the lightweight division. They are back. Not to timestamp these episodes too much. And again, this is one that will be revisited later on in time. But I believe we're about to have Kai Kara France versus Amir Albazi, which could easily end up being on the list. That, that, that seems like it's going to be a fun fight, Drake. But uh, this is yeah. this is what the first uh, non-headliner since Moreno Pettis in like 2017 in like five years. Like since Brian Stan, that was his last call, was the last time we had a non-title flyweight main event. Is that right, Drake? Wow, I I think so. Um, yeah, because the ones I was naming earlier, uh, Benavidez, Figueroa was obviously title fight. Um, yeah, I think that's got to be it. I mean, oh, there's yeah. there's been so few that I feel like we can't miss them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep, but there yep. was there was a uh, Patty and uh, Smolka, which was short notice, but that was before that, obviously. So that's sure. just another one that came to mind. But um, yeah, I, I think that's got to be it. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, let's get let's get the rolling party started. Um, shouts, shouts to everybody who's cool. You guys know who you are. We'll just leave it at that. Shouts to my guy Drake over here. How about that? Uh, Amazon reads. I'll, I'll, I'll save my guy Drake and you guys. We'll get to the good stuff. But yes, of course, uh, this is hosted by MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, my website, so it's not a sponsor. But if you do want to uh, sponsor the show, get at me, of course. At Dan Tom MMA, uh, Dan Tom MMA at gmail.com. But yeah, uh, you know, if you want to support the show, that is free and will remain free because I'm dumb and I don't even know how to put a Patreon for people that actually want to support me, anyways. So until then, you can support me by going to mixedmarshallanalyst.com. There is a secure PayPal link there, uh, Daniel Tom MMA or something like that. If you want to search PayPal, it's also in my link trees for Instagram and the link tree bio and uh, Twitter. But yes, on the website, mixedmarshallanalyst.com, that's host this year program, there is a secure PayPal link. You have to go to the right, maybe toggle, kind of zoom out and toggle to the right if you're doing it on the mobile. But uh, of course, right below that, you will find click-throughs for Amazon on it. Not great companies, but if you want an easier conscience by buying stuff through those companies and kick back a small percentage here, I'm a great spokesperson, right? Great sponsor. I won't trash your stuff like this, though. Don't I won't subtle jabs. This is just... Yeah. <laughs> you can buy through there. You guys know what I'm saying. You guys get it. All right. that Look, look how professional that was, Drake. All the plugs are taken care Wonderful. of. Wonderful. Advertising. 
advertisements there. Uh, I believe this video is, is you know, um, we're not going to be breaking any uh, things with audio clips or whatever. No sponsor. So I'll probably end up monetizing this thing. Not that it matters, but there's also the, I guess they have like super chats, super likes, and different ways to like oh, yeah. give y me, which means give a nice percentage to, uh, you know, of, you know, uh, YouTube, but you know you can always do that too. That's that's appreciated. All right. Uh, so again, I ripped these top five formats. Uh, not enough credit is given due in life in general, much less in this space. Um, and even if it's for silly ideas like top five, like everybody does top five. You know, like there's this more like since I've been doing these podcasts, like there there's been people who like do actual videos and they're very talented and and have hit it out of the park and made whole careers out of that. Like it, it, it's 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 anyone's idea to do whatever they want and all the best to everybody but where i credit my ideas from a podcast called the film vault who's still up and running if you want to support them uh, shout out to my guy pulver I, he tells me to don't don't give up on them dan don't give up on them so uh but uh no i always give them a shout um of course they do the film version of this so it's like you know top five bad cops in movies and it's kind of like this endless kind of thing depending on how creative you want to be right you're only limited to that and i figured why not do that for Green One, but one that's needed and important, as we stated off the bat. And just like that podcast, uh, we here will do a similar format where I'll probably give the steering wheel to my guests, to Drake to start off with his number five. We will go from five to one going back and forth like a tennis game. He'll hit at me his number five. I'll hit at him my number five. For lists like this, crossover is a high probability, so we will probably be adjusting on the fly. Maybe we will kind of end up having to give you a two true outcome or you know two kind of outcome lists at the end depending on how this goes but i have my uh five firmly penned i will account for uh regardless if we have crossover after that we will get to your listener list which are submitted again at the pyn podcast on all social platforms if you want to get in on that action and even if you want to contribute late to the show after this already posted i encourage you i would love to see your top five lists please comment them below anything we missed we will get at the end in honorable mentions and that is that's the format. How does that sound, Drake? We ready? Oh, yeah. Wonderful. All right. Top five UFC flyweight fights. Now, these are men's. Um, if, you know, you can get as cheeky as you want, which means if Drake wants to hijack and throw some women's fights in here to catch me off guard, he's more than welcome to. <laughs> Obviously, we're focusing on men's, though. And that doesn't mean we can't give the ladies on their ever-growing division because... They, you know, have been noted to be one of the weakest divisions outside of women's featherweight, but have come a long way, arguably, in the last couple of years. So we'll, we'll maybe give some room to give some shout to the ladies too. We're not, we're not, we're not trying to discount them. But yes, top five UFC men's flyweights. You know, I always joke and say my my, my number five spot's kind of a hipster spot, but considering we're both uh, hipster asses ourselves, Drake, uh, yep, it's kind of all hipster choices. Sure. So let's just say, what's your number five? How about that? What's your number five? <laughs> well, first of all, Dan, I do want to say as much. Yes, let's give all the shouts to the ladies as possible because that's definitely one of the big things I'm always about. As uh, that was the show that I have, uh, WMA Mania, focusing fully on the uh, the women each and every week and what's going on in the world specifically with the women in MMA. But we can save that for another episode. We can do that one next, right? I mean, there's always that possibility to give them the ultimate shine. So I don't want to shortchange anybody, but definitely the shouts. But as for the top five, Dan. All right, so for my number five spot, honestly, I'm going to tell you right now, I think the deciding the back end of the list was maybe the hardest part for me. So yeah. I was flip-flopping and switching a lot between what I wanted to put in four and five. I think specifically I feel a whole lot more comfortable with my top three here. So I don't, you know, feel free to judge me as much as you want for the back end, but I don't know if you can really go wrong, but I am not, I'm very open to changing on this, but for number five, what I landed on, 
And I always hate to do this because recency bias can always be applied, but I just can't get over how absurd Matt Schnell versus Sumaderji was. So yes. that for me falls into number five for so many reasons. Obviously, it had plenty of violence, uh, a comeback, a finish, like all these crazy things that went into this fight that at flyweight, I don't want to say we don't necessarily see too often, but I think that might be fair to say in this one. I've, I feel like I've never seen a flyweight fight that was looking so like conclusive of what was going to happen, but Machinel somehow survived what, like four knockdowns. He got hurt a lot <laughs> in that fight, but then somehow pulls the rabbit out of the hat in the end and uh, gets the, what the submission over Suma Derji. And my goodness, it was, um, it was a crazy moment. And for that to also happen, not that it matters much for the fight itself and being ranked, but what it was in Houston, his hometown, all this crazy stuff. Like I, that was a fight, Dan, I want to tell you right now, like as talking about just the media stuff and working in the space, as I've been in this game longer, creeping up on 10 years in like two years, I think, which kind of hurts my heart to say, but it's kind of a badge of pride at the same time. I have like lost a little bit of my excitement has died down a lot in terms of like investment in fights and being like overly hyped. And that fan in me has died a little bit. You know what I mean? It's, it's shifting a little bit more. Still, of course, a fan. I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't, didn't love the sport. But what I'm getting at is. Sumaderje versus Matt Schnell was one of those fights where it actually gave me goosebumps like as it was happening for the first time in a while and I was kind of like edge of my seat as it was going on and it made me like really feel something physically for the first time in a good while so if that happens I'm like this was a special moment so that fight I just think for everything that happened in it bit of a car crash at flyweight that the fact that Matt Schnell came back there's just so many elements of it that show you why MMA is the best sport in the world. So for that alone, I feel like it deserves to be somewhere, at least definitely an honorable mention. But with all that in mind, I gave it five. And I think that's fine. And I got some I got some other ones again that I was saying that I think could slot over it as maybe for technical purposes, but it made me feel something, Dan. I, I was feeling stuff. <laughs> I sentiment with that so much that I have to say, you sunk my battleship. Crossover, but the crossover of the best kind because I also have it at my number five. Wow, so okay. there we go. There we go. Wow, I, right out of the gate. I also agreed with your sentiment too that I had – that's very surprising because uh, I, this place th – this one jumped around and where I wanted to put it slash if I wanted to put it maybe at a certain point. And I also had – because I also had trouble with the back end of the list. I completely sentiment – with Drake there and Drake. Yeah. We've been around it for the same time and it's both a badge of honor and kind of makes you feel dead inside as well. It's weird, right? But, no, it's, um, it's, but you know what, to, to Drake's point though, it's not that we're not fans. It's just like, you, we can't cover this. We shouldn't be covering it from a fan space. So, um, and I know, I know, I know Drake is somebody who's good about, you know, staying professional when he needs to be and whatnot. So he knows what I'm talking about here. So because of that, especially if you're doing things or, trying to do things air quotes the air quotes right way you don't get to feed the fan in you that much right if you're really working in the space you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing and not fanboying you are not feeding the fan which even though you're doing air quote what you're supposed to be kind of sucks inside you know you kind of feel dead inside you're like i kind of miss the maybe it's maybe it was the golden era that I'm, I'm sure both me and you shared coming up in this sport it explains a lot of your passion as well as mine right drake um, you know, uh, but you're just like, w where is that? And some fights just do it to you. And I, if this kind of tips my list, I, I, 
pretty much 90% of my list was just, like, not, like, the best all-time or technical fights. It was, like, wild effing fights. I tried to balance yeah. it out a bit, but still, <laughs> uh, probably the majority of my list are wild are wild flyweight fights, right? <laughs> like, um, and because that's just, that's just what speaks to me. It's what spoke, it's what, it's what spoke to me. Uh, also, it, I, I love... Um, stereotype breaking something I'm finding out about both me and my, my taste, you know, you know, I remember the time I like someone was like, Oh, did, did, you know, I've talked about this before this dynamic, but people were like, ah, Dana White will tip you and this and that, or this or that. Oh, but he's not, and he's like one of the best tippers around Vegas. And I, I can vouch for that. But I can also say that, you know, that, that, that is a tactic for a personality and a certain type to, to, to kind of win people over with money or this or that. But I'm like, wait a minute, I consider myself a good type. Good tipper. My, my, my Dana, my, do, I, do I got some Dana White in me? And, uh, and this sounds really like a really random psychological offbeat, but uh, I was being introspective with myself. And I was like, no, no, I think I figured out where it came from, and I've discovered this recently. And it, and it makes sense because of like what I like in MMA. I like underdog stories, right? I like mm-hmm. certain things like that. And I just like anything that breaks stereotype, that makes people go like, oh, you know, like, Who's this? This kid doesn't look like he's got money or whatever, and like he's actually like polite and he actually has manners. What he actually tips to? Like I love doing that to people and seeing me. Oh wow, you know, or like uh, somebody just starts talking to me in jujitsu and they just assume I don't know and they're trying to teach me the lesson that the, that the instructor is teaching all of us. And I, at a certain point, I just politely nod along and then I own the fuck out of them. This has just recently <laughs> happened. And when we go live rolls and they get mad, they feel like I deceive them and they're like, "Oh, you're better than I thought." I'm like. You're better than you told me. I'm like, no, you just assumed I was a piece of shit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, I don't know where I'm I'm getting lost with the thread here. But, yeah, back to this. You know, everybody assumes the the, the little guys can't bang, right? Back. There was a point. There was a point to that, folks. So a lot of these these fights that spoke to me were just like, no, F you. Not only are these guys good and well-rounded, they can fucking bang, too. And we'll, we'll touch on more of that later. But uh, this was a great fight to show that because Suma Darji, you know, you know, he's like the the, the uh, you know the Asian Conor McGregor out there. He had the the, the southpaw, a deadly left hand, but he was finding his check right hook, even finding these like hand posting elbows, and it's like almost gets a standing stoppage from Matt Schnell multiple times. And, oh. and you could argue that it could have been, but Matt Schnell yeah. pushes forward. And it's funny, the first round of this fight, it does have some back and forth. It does have some grappling. You get like the omoplata to the sidewalk slam, which is fun, right? But outside of that, mm. it's not. It's a good flyweight round. It's got back and forth, but it's not like a blow your hair back something that would make this list flyweight round. It's it really is the second right. round that sells it, and it really is DC's commentary for whatever you 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 like or don't like about DC. You gotta appreciate him going. I don't know, I don't know. He starts going. He's like it's like his own. It's like a high pitched version of David Clark, Devin Clark's dad. They just go. They get so excited. They just get inaudible. They just forget their words. And he's like. Yeah. I don't know, I don't like you know they just they they just lose it and 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 that translates through it you know like he he's he's getting it's infectious like even you hear john anik do his ha you know he does his laugh and acknowledges dc losing it right anik is losing it over dc losing it and they are all losing it collectively with all of us (laughs) over this fight and um you know i you know it's not I try not to glorify this too much, especially with uh, the way some people glorify these things. But at the same time, yes, it is a kind of cool visceral visual to see the guy unconscious, like a cartoon character with the blood on his face, right? At the end. And Matt Schnell, you know, it's like a Jim Miller after he choked out Yancey Medeiros, like cheering with the guy still kind of unconscious. And 
if even if you and again regardless if you like Matt Chanel or not like you know or, or you got to how do you not appreciate a guy who's been knocked out uh, as many times where it's like okay this guy might not have a good chin and he looks like he's set up for it he's the underdog and it's going as many like like myself predicted and he just goes through it you see him make that choice and even you hear his corner shouts to save Sayu and Fortis MMA they're just like you're that guy Matt you're that guy you're that guy and I know it's very machismo and you know that's how winning's done and it's like yeah Rock that's how head trauma's <laughs> done as well you know every time I hear that in the highlight I'm like, that's how winning's done I'm like that's how head trauma's right. done Rock but Aside from that, like the, the part of you has to appreciate that, the part of you that that brought you to fight sports, you know. So yeah, that fight's a solid number five. I think too, what I kind of liked more about how it ended was the fact that it was a submission rather than a knockout. I mean, it would have been crazy either way, but something yeah. about that is kind of really what's the whistle for me, you know? Like yes. <laughs> the fact that yeah. he was able to kind of change the complexion because for me, Dan, what always makes the very best MMA fights are the fights that show as much MMA as possible. You know what I mean? Like, of course, I love, you know, a good strictly kickboxing match throughout the full five rounds and whatnot. But if it shows every element as MMA possible, that's what I love to see. So the fact that it kind of ended in that fashion with the diversity of a submission rather than just Schnell comes back and knocks him out somehow, mm -hmm. that, that, put, that adds a little bit to it for me. Yeah, it does. I, I I do enjoy that. It reminded me of like uh, one of my favorite WEC fights. What was it? Eve Jabouin versus Mark Hominick. It's just like crazy striking, but it's like a fun grappling sequence at the end. I believe that closes it. It's like a back roll to a mount, and just like oh yeah, that's right. it's just there's something about you know. I forgot they could do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean not just strictly labeling it as club and sub, but there is something about just striking exchanges that just flow right into a grappling finish. There's something just aesthetically beautiful about that. Um, all right. Well, we both had crossover. So usually when we have crossover, we'll do a bit of a Chinese fire drill, and that'll kind of switch, uh, switch who's serving. So I'll go ahead and serve for number four, if that makes sense. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have more crossover here. This fight also, maybe not as much blood, but it had one of the most... like. You know, Family Guy dead body endings. I say, like you know, like Chan Sung Jung Yair Rodriguez. You know, the end of that fight where it's like you blink and all of a sudden he's got like he's got the Michael J. Fox Back to the Future arm behind his back. They're just in like weird <laughs> positions, right? And they're like clearly yeah. just limp. And again, I'm not trying to celebrate this. I'm one of the few people that's like, I hope that person's okay during the live watch. <laughs> but there is something about that, and I felt less crazy for having this on my list. At first, I was like, this is going to be the hipster spot where I'm probably going to get crap and have to defend it. But then I saw people I respect, whether it's Ghost Phantom, who may be a part of some of your chats as well. He's an analyst yep. and MMA enthusiast here. To, of course, the great Kaposa. And having those two, uh, you know, having them on their list, I, I felt much better. And that, of course, is Patty Hoolan. Patty Hoolan. Patty Hoolan versus Luis Smoka <laughs> at UFC Fight Night 76. October 24th, 2015. This was originally supposed to be Poirier versus Duffy. Their return to uh their the return to uh to Dublin since uh the epic show that put them on the map. We're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Sorry for my TikToks. Uh my, my poor Car Connor <laughs> accent there. But yes, it was it was it was after that fight where all the Irish win. Um they come back, they try to recreate it. Of course, Connor at this point is already too big to be headlining fight nights or that same arena. 
Um, and they were setting up Poirier Joe Duffy, which got scrapped, I believe, by some kind of concussion issue or something the week of, I believe. I believe Poirier and stuff still flew out there. I believe even the co-main event was scrapped. Like, these guys weren't... Yeah. They were actually set, to, to their credit, I believe they were set to open the main card. And we'll talk about this because this is still in the Joe Silva era. And again, for as bad as Joe Silva was, the guy knew how to format a fucking card. He knew that lightweight and featherweight pretty much belonged opening up main cards. And he actually allowed flyweights to do it sometimes. And a lot of it were a lot of the fights that either make our list or honorable mentions, by the way. Um, so they tried to do the same thing here. It gets moved to the co-main event. And then it gets moved to the impromptu main event. Um, before I go any further, was there any crossover on this one, Drake? There was not, no. So you okay, got this cool. one alone. I got a different one for my four. All right. Well, I'll finish this out. And I'll let you. I'll let you chime in, and then before we jump to your number four. But yeah, so they get they get they get pushed to it. Um, neither are really that big at the time, you know. Uh, Patty Houlihan has a couple wins, one really, you know, fun first round win in that aforementioned previous Dublin cards. So they're bringing back him to try to showcase him. They got Smolka, who is, you know, uh, you know, beat some guys across the seas. I believe at this point, like Richie uh, Vakulik, you know, showing some of his cool sidekick karate boxing. Smolka was like a really, you know, uh, fun scrambler, huge for the division. I mean, the guy is my height, five nine, somehow made one twenty five. Um, He's got. He hasn't made the trip to the mainland to train with Timo Yama at this point of his career yet, as you may see him in the future. At the timestamp this episode, fighting at 135 at Timo Yama, he actually has MMA elite corner and Max Holloway, as well as Russell Doan, are actually in his corner for this fight. Um, and uh, and it's a really fun fight, man. I mean, you've got. There's a lot of fights where there's a classic like scrambly fights that could be on this list. I, a lot of those actually ended up off my list. They, they needed to have something more than just fun flyweight scrambles, even though that is a hallmark, and I love scrambles, and it's more than just to highlight any of those fights or that feature. But this fight kind of had it all. They had some, you know, they had a little bit of striking in there, but a lot of the striking was actually done from, like, back mounts, and that's where a lot of, like, the damage and cuts were done. And you have an insane amount of fun scrambles. Uh, you know, Smolka's in really bad spots that you're accustomed to seeing him in. But he, you know, he spends like the first half of rounds, like losing the first half of like both first and the second round, uh, ends up finishing the first round strong, comes back out for the second. And uh, even though Hulahan's looking a bit, you know, tired and worse for the wear, he's still just like a, a, a you know, a spark plug out there. He's just like, a, he's just really frantic. He's still getting some really good one hook in back mount positions. Uh, Louis Smoke is having to shake him off and get him off high on it transferring into like Dar's catches it's just it's just insanely fun um and uh until uh, eventually you know Lewis Smoker when he was able to get positions he was just able to be more taxing and more violent and you see some really really violent ground and pound especially because they you know the referee is giving you know Hulahan every chance to get out of it because the Irish crowd is just so fervent that really helps push this over you've got the passionate Irish crowd that they're even chanting when you know Hulahan's mounted they're even like chanting they're not just kind of going quiet like you feel the energy throughout and uh you know it's not as smooth or organic or as aesthetically beautiful like we just spoke about but the ground striking in this case it was just kind of kept going it seemed like you know it was going to keep going yeah. back and forth so we just you know what let me just secure the uh, Matalion, the rnc and um he makes Hulahan tap the mat, but then Hulahan kind of like passes out at the same time, and it's very like cartoon like. And and Patty Hulahan already looks like a cartoon character; like he already looks like a cartoon yeah. Irishman passed out at the pub, you know. Like, um, and uh, and 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 
it was cool though because and, and props to Dan Hardy who obviously does this one of the many you know like uh, small things that guys like the Hardys or John Annex different commentary roles but commentators will do in these post fight interviews and he manages the crowd well and he's like you know the thing about Ireland is even if you're not one of your own they'll they'll cheer you on anyways and Ireland gives you know they, they give uh, Pat, uh, they give Louis Smoka like uh, uh, crazy respect they're not booing him. And then they interview Patty, you know, who's, you know, gracious in defeat. And uh, they still cheer on their guy, even though he lost, you know. And uh, you really got to give it up to the Irish crowd. They really, you know, once again kind of earned their name. Even with the even with the flub-ups, they didn't get as good of a card. Even that card didn't come through. Um, the flyweight still delivered, and the Irish crowd reciprocated. So that makes my number four. Yeah, man. I mean, it was one of those very interesting fights, right? Because we got two of like the longer and lankier flyweights that we've maybe ever seen <laughs> going against yeah, each other. And it yeah. was one of those very rare situations where I love that in the end, honestly, that it ended up being the headliner. Because again, talking about the spotlight and highlighting how great that uh, the division is and everybody I remember at this time, this was like the middle, right in the midst of like my peak Sherdog Forum days. So I was always like, seeing what was going on between the community in there and everybody was shitting on the fight. Like, you know, the, it's like yeah. worst main event ever. Like it's short notice guys. Like, come on, give it a break. And in these cases, especially is more exemplified years ago, but whenever there was like a, a bad card on paper or whatnot, they would always deliver really a thing where just wait till it plays out. And with this fight, I think that, that was a great highlight of that. And uh, yeah, I love great scrambly grapple matches. Like you were saying, so I really do like that fight. Um, and, and at the time, it was also right in the middle of, like, I think Smoke was his best run, especially in the UFC, where he had that guy mm -hmm. that people would think, oh, he might be a threat to Demetrius. Unfortunately, never got to see that. But, but this was a great kind of highlight of maybe what exactly he was capable of at his best. And, of course, in the middle of, uh, you know, that stretch he was on, too. So... Uh, a good honorable mention of mine, but yeah, I, I didn't quite have it on there because of maybe some more chaos on my number four and then what uh, what is coming up here, but a, a great a great one for sure. Awesome. We'll, we'll bounce to that one second. I just want to say uh, that is funny. I, I don't think I don't know about you, Drake, but I was just thinking I, I'm not one to lobby out. Here's the next guy to come up in any division or here's the next guy to beat this guy. But I feel like I did that the most in the flyweight division, and I was so wrong. I just I cursed so many guys' careers: Baga Utinov, <laughs> Justin Scoggins. Oh man! Like oh jeez, oh oh my those goodness. Those were all fair shouts, though. Like they no, at the time, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. At, at the time, certainly. Um, no. That that's a great. That's a great. That's that, that's a, that's a great note there. All right. What do you have for your number four, sir? All right. So again, yeah, like. It's tough to flip-flop the, these four or five and then the honorable mentions here. And this, so the win, uh, one of the guys involved in this fight has multiple, <laughs> you know, multiple fights that I think could have been on here. And I'm sure that one of his fights will be on your list, Dan. And I think sure. you know where I'm going. Yeah. But uh, John Lineker versus Louis Gaudineau is at my number four spot yes. here. And I was very, very close to doing another one of his fights, which uh, is ended up on my honorable mentions list, which we can get to when we do that part. But um, yeah, man, this was the introduction of John Lineker to the UFC. And I mean, I guess I don't remember if it was Gaudino's uh, first fight as well, but he was coming in off the ultimate fighter, of course. And man, I kind of forgot until going back and rewatching it for this uh, fight, <laughs> as you could have asked for. And it kind of, you know, goes back to, 
that uh, what you were saying kind of about how, you know, they're unassuming a little bit. With the flyweights, you don't – you compared to heavyweights and whatnot, the aesthetic – and people don't expect to see maybe this kind of thing out of him. But it was just bomb after bomb. And it was vintage, you know, Lineker going for his his hook to the body and then followed up up top. Like, we saw, we've saw, we seen that many times, from him, of course, throughout his career since then. But Gaudino was down to throw down as well. And again, going back to Schnell and Sumaderje, it ends in a submission. You know, he ends up catching Lineker at the end of the second round. But beforehand, like, it was just chaos. And, and for a flyweight fight, at that time, even though they're the flyweights, I remember being like, there's no way they can keep up this pace from the first round because it was just nonstop, you know, trying to knock each other out from the get-go. Lineker pressuring the entire time, uh, despite Gaudino being, you know, back against the wall in a lot of those exchanges, was hanging in there, feeding him back to Lineker. And, of course, we know how practically impossible it is to knock out Lineker. We didn't at the time, but he really helped show that <laughs> with the performance. And even in defeat, it was one of those where you felt like no guy really lost, and they did end up, uh, well, they got fight of the night for that one, I believe. If I remember correctly, I got it up here. Yes, they did get fight of the night for that one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of, it's not the prettiest fight, but I think that is why it was so fun. <laughs> and again, at the time when the flyweights were coming in, I think nostalgia helps a little bit for me, but regardless, if you go and watch this now, it still holds up. It is still quality chaos, and that's just that's just Lineker's career, really. So it's kind of I feel weird highlighting him more than Gaudino in this because Gaudino won, <laughs> but really, it's uh, I think it's a testament to Lineker hanging around and continuing on after that, despite missing weight at flyweight. That was his problem at flyweight. He's a massive guy fighting at 145 in 2023. My goodness, but uh, yeah, Gaudino, he definitely had some fun moments in him as well. And so this was a great, uh, one of the more memorable ones for me, obviously, as it's my number four. Nice. No, 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 no hate here. It's crossover. I'm trying to think how I'm going to do this, but this is actually my number <laughs> one, which sounds crazy okay. to a lot of people. I, I love this fight. Uh, I, I, I think people probably, you know, uh, figure this would be on the list, seeing me tweet about it. I just, I love, I've always, I've always loved this fight. Uh, it just, just always jumped out to me. Um, this is, uh, shouts to Kaposa. He was there, there live. Um, and he was just, it was one of those fights where just, you know, I, I had a friend who was there live for Edson Barbosa versus Mike Lulo, his first leg kick TKO. He, he says he can still hear like what the leg kick sounded like from his seat. And, you know, people like Kaposa saying this, by the way, you know, that's, 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 uh, that's Twitter, uh, MMA royalty right there. Uh, saying he, he could hear the impact and feel it, you know. I, I could feel it through the broadcast, and these were flyweights, right? And I know Lineker loses this fight, um, but he helps make it. And Gaudino, who, you know, you just think, you know, I already tuned out a tough this time. You know, everybody's are doing their gimmicky things. His thing is, like, green hair. I'm like, whatever. I didn't really <laughs> care about this guy. But he shows that both his underrated skills as well as his camp and what they would produce to come because this is – I love hearing the commentary because – a, you get the early flyweight commentary. I'm sure you heard this, Drake, right? Going back to revisit these mm-hmm. earlier flights where they go, where the commentator, and again, it's if it, credit to the commentators. It's not it's not their fault that people don't like or they're not marketed the correct way. The commentators always did their damnedest, right? They're in the early flyweight fights like this fight. You go, this is what they're tr- they're trying to sell it to the audience. Like they're doing their damnedest. Yes. Like this is why we're bringing you these flyweight fight folks. This is the great things about them. So like. They are trying. It's not like the UFC or their commentary team isn't trying, you know. So, uh, you know, we, we got to be careful how we levy our criticisms there. But also, you hear them talk about Team Tiger Shulman, 
Um, and Joe Rogan especially making a lot of notes that I would make because me and Joe have a similar background where we, we live in the mixed martial arts world and have been for some time. But we come from traditional martial arts, uh, national level to karate tournaments, right? That's kind of, uh, and Taekwondo tournaments, I should say. Um, I did, did both of those, but yeah, that, that's kind of like our, our headspace. So we also know, so we know what's real from that, but we also obviously know all the trappings and bullshit from that space. So he's like trying to explain, he goes, these guys run karate schools, but listen, they actually train for fighting and they produce good fighters. And he was actually did a really good job of explaining Tiger Shulman, who would later make you know Joe Rogan not look as stupid for saying that because they would produce really good, well-rounded <laughs> fighters like Jimmy Rivera, Shane Burgos, Lyman Good, you know, and so on and so forth. But Luis Galdino was actually their first guy to the UFC, which is easy to forget. And yeah, he, he gets the win for this fight. Um, it's just crazy, the palpable power, again, back to that point that I previously brought up, like, talk about turning a stereotype on its head, right? And this is like, you know, one of the first ones. It's very, again, it's not technical. It's not like, you know, a title fight with meaning and this and that. If we're doing this list, right. then yeah, this probably doesn't make the top five. But if we are talking about what, you know, back to what Drake said about Sumaderji and Schnell, what really makes you, gets you to feel as a fan, I'm like, this isn't like, Hi, bro. This is like me, like saying Bud Light is my favorite beer. If we're doing a top five beers, right? In a way, in a way, it kind of is, right? But at the same yeah. time, and I'm definitely, and I'm definitely a beer snob. So this this feels like a bad analogy to me, but I'm gonna use it anyways, because <laughs> even though it wouldn't fit me, um, but at the same time, you like what you like, right? And 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 that's one of the few things that I can bank on for all the reasons that I actually can agree on people disliking me. Hey, the one thing you can't say, I'm an honest motherfucker. I'm an honest and transparent motherfucker. Okay, say say all the bad things you want. I'm, I'm honest, and uh, I'm gonna try to be even for silly things like this, folks. I'm gonna try to be honest, and and yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll burn it. I'll burn it right now. That your number four, I believe, was uh, my my number one. Um, and oh, I'll, I'll, I will add quick will spoilers. Add, my bad. <laughs> no, it's okay. I will add one context to this, though. By the way, to a, a story I've shared in this podcast before. Maybe you don't know. The, maybe you know this already. It's a story that uh, Alex, okay, listen, Alex Davis. Uh, I don't know if he still manages John Lineker, but he manages a ton of the Brazilians, a lot of the Brazilians out of American I top team. He, he looks, does. He looks like he looks so. like he, he's the guy in the corner that looks like Portuguese Nick Nolte, right? He is. He is. He does. He Perfect. does. Com you know what I'm talking about, right? He does commentary <laughs> he for some. He'll, he'll sit in and do the translation sometimes if he's around. He's the older guy. He, yeah, he looks like he's yep. he's an old judo guy, right? He used to compete in judo. Alex Davis. And um, John Lineker, somebody said in the comments, like, he was so amazing but so unprofessional. And that might sound cruel, but it was true, not just because of the white misses, but, like, and shout out to another podcast, by the way. I'm sure he won't mind me putting him on the spot because he said it on his own podcast, the MMA Road Show. Shout out to my guys John Morgan and Kenny. But back in one of the Macau shows where he missed weight, might have even been for, like, 135 Lineker, like, they saw him, like, the night before at the food court, like, sitting by himself with a plate of pizza in front of him. He was just staring at it. <laughs> I don't know if it was like a mental <laughs> exercise thing. Like, I, I, I can do this. I don't need the pizza. I don't need yeah. the pizza. I do, and apparently he did eat the pizza because he missed weight. But the funny story right. for this, this was this was John Lineker's first uh, UFC fight as well, right? And he's a young kid. He's only like 20 or 21 years old when he's making his debut. And he's kind of a, you know, he's kind of a different cat, as you can already tell. As if not, you could have already presumed being a fighter, right? I mean, we're all different cats yeah. here. Um, let's be honest. But yeah, he... Um, they get, like, weekly per diems as well, right? Um, especially maybe they don't have, like, Trifecta or a PI or, or certain programs at this point of the UFC, right? They, they they have, like, per diems for the team to eat daily. Uh, for people that don't aware of this, for the fight teams on Fight Week. 
And John Lineker, again, he comes from a very poor background, like a lot, like a, like, like a lot of these fighters, right? And and it's just just an unfortunate truth, right? Socioeconomic truth there. So he sees this per diem, and he's like, "This is the most money he's seen forever." And he, I don't know what PlayStation is out, Drake, in 2012, but he wants whatever that that new PlayStation is. <laughs> so the per diem for like the whole week for like him 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 to eat and maybe even for his team is about how much the PlayStation is. So he goes and buys the PlayStation, and he's like has a cup of water and he's asking like people for some food and his manager's like what are you doing john like when he's when he's, if he gets the fight week and he, he starts explaining to his manager's oh well i don't have he's like what's your per diem money he's like, well i don't have any because i i spent i got this playstation so he had to so he had to beg for food and water the whole fight week uh and like or alex davis had to pay for it pretty much because he spent wow. his whole money like this is where the, the guy's this guy's head's at it's kind of a things to yeah. come for john lineker so just a funny little tidbit to that story, and and even he so he lo- he loses and he really needed that win bonus because he wasn't getting paid shit as you can imagine right, um right. and so Alex Davis actually went to petition to still get um his bonus I, I believe I don't know if he missed weight for this one too, um but uh yeah it's, he it's, was it, over for the yeah, yeah but because it's weird but oh it's a catchweight fight only one website lists this is a catchweight fight. Every other website and the UFC broadcast, it was booked and broadcasted as a UFC flyweight fight. So this makes the list, baby, mm. even if one guy misses weight. But, yeah, uh, they actually petitioned to give him the bonus still, and they actually gave him the bonus still, and he really needed it apparently. So, And, and by the way, I will, re- I will read, I will read, and, and, and they are credited as the bonus. And if you look, it says $65,000 bonus they received for this. Now, I don't mm. know if that was – now, for people that don't uh, – uh, are, are, are unaware if you've been following the sport since 2006 2007 you will know that dana has done 1k bonuses he's done 75k bonuses and they have done 65 before this actually isn't a, a unheard of but it only makes it we, we we just forget about it because ironically with all the corporate money and stuff they don't do that so much not even publicly when yeah. they're trying to get positive pr funny that huh how they were much more liberal about again <laughs> Dana lives a lot off of that good early equity he put with his money, right? And being really friendly with his money early. That, that, that's done him a lot of favors, right? And maybe this is this is back to those days, right? Because $65,000 bonuses, wow. We're, we're somehow still only making 50000 for these fighters on these. And the cards have only gotten bigger. They've only gotten more plentiful. Nope, same amount of bonuses. We, we changed the title, Drake. We've changed the title since then. Yeah. But no, we've not upped the money. If anything, we've lowered it. <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't, I can't help but point these things out, folks. I know it's not making me a fan of the UFCs. Or I, just, I can't help but point these things out. It's crazy. No, totally fair. And I mean, it's interesting, too, when you look at kind of at that time, that was around when, like, Lineker was probably on, like, an 8-8. Eight and eight. Yes. You no, know, like, was, they had was, those yeah. at that time. Yeah, Yeah, like, that's why Alex so. was petitioning for it, because his show money wasn't even going to cover the, the cost of his travel and his, you know, he was, he's, he's not doing a... He's not doing Henry Cejudo camps or anything. You can count on that. Lineker yeah. wasn't uh, then or now. But, yeah, so he couldn't even cover his own basic camp then. Um, needed that bonus. Needed that bonus. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to number three for you, sir. What do you have for number three? All right. So, number three for me. I imagine this one's got to be on your list too, Dan. Who knows? Maybe we'll get another crossover here. But I, I think – and I'm very curious to just kind of get your thoughts on this question I'm going to present to you here, whether or not. So 
<laughs> my number three is, I'll just say it, Davidson Figueredo and Brandon Moreno won. Nice. The first fight, I, I think, is pretty objectively the best of the four. And, I mean, I think you could make cases to get multiple of the Tetralogy on here. And I'm kind of curious to know what you think, Dan, in terms of, like, is one far and away and all that stuff compared to all the other ones. But for me, the first fight was kind of, you know, I don't know if I'm a sucker kind of for the beginnings of things and the stories just in general, which I kind of am. But this fight, I, I just think, and again, compet- going back to what I was saying about the more MMA that an MMA fight shows, the better it is in terms of how I value it, all these things, what makes a great fight. And it's got to be competitive too. And this was literally a draw. I mean, Shouldn't have been a draw because it was a draw from a foul, right? But it was a back-and-forth war regardless. Davidson Figueredo, it was kind of... I, I don't want to say coming out party for him because what he did against Benavidez beforehand to get the title was very impressive, and I think you would rightfully say that was what it was. But this, you want to talk about spotlighting the, the flyweights. This was a huge point in especially the recent history to help do that because of how great the fight was and it gave us three more afterwards which is still kind of insane to me but, yeah uh yeah this was this had a little bit of everything you know it had moreno showing that brutal mexican toughness that you love to see never going away firing back at figueredo and kind of regaining momentum in certain points but he was still i think pretty comfortably controlling and you know, displaying what he was best at. And it, it was very technical. All their fights have been very technical. And that's kind of what is a big seller, I think, of what makes them all good in their own unique ways because they're all very different, which is kind of uh, the very fun part about the Tetralogy, even though I think this one is still, there's a good gap between it. And I'm not sure what I would put as the second best fight, maybe the, the third fight. But either way, for me, the first fight is kind of in standalone territory. I mean, it was a fight of the year contender maybe your fight of the year, depending on who you are watching this or whatnot. But it was just like flyweight brilliance for the most part, outside of the, uh, you know, the, the illegal point deduction and whatnot from Moreno and what happened there. That's that can maybe devalue it for you. I don't know if I affected that too much for what I have ahead of this, because I really like my top two spots, but this was, uh, this was, it was just a great fight. I don't know how much I can say more than that. It's undeniable. I think, (laughs) I agree. I agree. I think that I agree both that it was the best out of the four. Um, the draw doesn't affect that. Everybody knows that I'm a big Gray Maynard, Frankie Edgar. I always stand for their first fight, which doesn't get enough love either, but the, obviously the second fight was the best, even though it ends in a draw. So the draw doesn't change anything. Even the controversial decisions, right? Because, uh, shout my my guy Gorgeous George, uh, shout out to another, uh, another uh, OG show you can go support there, uh, Triple G show on Patreon. He also says, you know, great fight, great fights, uh, have controversy and it sounds like oxymoron it sounds crazy but it's true in so many of the cases um you know and uh this one not only was it a draw but you could also argue some controversy i i had it me and many people i respect scored this one for figueredo um but again it was such a violent and fun fight there was a lot of fouls you know which you know i could see that taking away more than 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 a result of a draw taking away from a from a uh, right it, it being Anything on any list, right? Because you got to wonder how much the foul take place if you want to play that game and get in a speculation city. But it didn't take it away. In <laughs> fact, I had this fight as my number three until the 11th hour. And it did not mm-hmm. make the list. So I'm glad that not only did you put it on the list, that you had it at number three. So 
I feel right. a little less crazy there. So I agree with you on multiple fronts <laughs> here on this one, man. Uh, I think it was by by and far the best fight. Um, probably the third, probably second, maybe even the fourth if you want to uh, exclude the ending because the third fight was also kind of just yeah. weird too in a lot of ways. Um, but this is this is what I also thought about this fight is, and it sounds weird because both fighters are great. They put on great fights. It's a great division, which we've covered. But I also feel like the saying applies because of the context of how this fight came about, that it was much better than it had any right to be. Mm. It, it didn't deserve to be this good. You got Figueredo, who is, I've been saying for a while, is, is a bantamweight. You know, he barely makes flyweight. He needs everything to go perfect just to make flyweight, right? He's having to do a ridiculous turnaround. You don't know what happened in his camp. Uh, off the same card within a three-week turnaround is Brandon Moreno. And they're all having to stay in Vegas because Dana like, cancels their flights. Like, no, you're staying here under under cover of the apex, and we're going to keep you in a bubble because we need a pay-per-view <laughs> event. And, you know, we're all just people like me especially who are just sick of this, and the fighters always having to foot the bill and save the day. And, you know, we see this story all the time, you know, from Anderson Silva to DJ to all these fighters who, you know, uh, just always ha- always bailing, bailing out the UFC. And you're just like, I don't know if they're going to get what they deserve, really deserve for saving the day here. Here we go. Let's see what happens. You know, and that kind of tainted my mood, especially with my hipster contrarian ass. Right, Drake? And oh, then totally. we just we get an amazing fight. You know, we get one of Figueredo's best cardio performances. Best power, late power performances. Um, you know, he finishes the fight fairly strong. It's just, it's just, you know, you got some fun technical striking dynamics. Uh, you've got insane power and toughness. Um, you don't have the crowd, but you can also argue that this apex era of quietness almost adds to that that thudding feel. Because, like I write when I write about Davison Figueredo, that I say I always say flyweight hasn't seen power that he brings since John the days of John Lineker, right? Mm-hmm. Back to back to uh, you know your previous uh, number four, my, my my number one, right? Like F- Figueredo is that mm-hmm. guy, and uh, you could argue for quite a few of his fights, you know, to be in here for sure. So not crazy at all, but but it didn't make um, my uh, it, did, it, it didn't end up making my list at the eleventh hour, but more than deserved to be, and it would have been at the same spot you had it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean. Definitely uh, quite an interesting point in history, you know, and when you look back on it, it's easy easy to forget kind of, yeah, the story behind that and how crazy that was at the time, you know, it was like, oh, they're still doing this? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, just that whole time period, obviously, in life in general, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it was uh, it was insane stuff. That was your number three. Um, so you have two more and I only have one more. I think I should have took the steering wheel last time is where I messed up, but it's okay. I will go uh, number three, then you will go number two, then I'll go number two, then you'll close off number depending. one. So we still got depending. it. Yeah, depending, depending. <laughs> we'll see. This is this is this is tough, especially with this one because this was one where I'm like, okay, cool. I don't have to worry about crossover because I feel like this is on every list, and this won't end up being on my list. And as I got closer to filling out those late spots, I was like, it's this one just this this selection kept staring me in the face. And I'm like, you know what? And I go through, and again, and even for, you know, like, like I, I was explaining off air about like our beats and stuff, like, you know, like certain things that we, we like and, and, and I like it this, like I won't, I won't characterize or mischaracterize anything you say. <laughs> but for me, it's, it's, it's the analysis I have to do for breaking down fights, whether it's for bets or whether it's just basic analysis. I have to put the work in, right? 
But even for lists like these, I'm not watching it meticulously like I am. It's actually a much more leisurely watch. It's more enjoyable because I'm yeah. not having to watch for, like, be detective. Like, what's he getting hit by? Or, like, yeah, having yeah. to be, like, Leonardo DiCaprio go, oh, oh, there's a spot right there. There it is. <laughs> like, I don't have to watch with that intent. I can just enjoy, right? Um, but at the same time, I do got to go back and watch because some, I don't know if you had this experience, Drake, and I talk about with these with my guests to do these lists with me where you'll go back and you'll be like, some things will be better than you remember. Right. Some things won't be, some things won't be as good. I don't know if you had that experience with your research and you kind of had to modify, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think with Lineker Gowd, no, that's kind of, because initially I, you know, I just threw them, threw them in off the top of my head and was like remembering which ones. And then, you know, I thought about it more and I looked and I was like, all right, now that one, that one's going to be on there. So Absolutely. And I did that with uh, Henry Cejudo versus Demetrius Johnson, too, as my number three. I'm sure there's going to be crossover there. But but yeah, this uh, this was a fight that was that was tough. Well, Dan, let me stop you. Yeah, please go. Number two. Oh, perfect. Perfect. (laughs) So it's going to branch right in. It's going to branch right in. How about I'll set it up and then I'll set up the ball like volleyball and then you can spike it down. Okay. All right. All right. So basically they had their first fight back at, I believe, UFC 197 in Las Vegas. It was one of many clinch, uh, just, just, oh, I love going back to watch DJ clinch work, by the way. It's my favorite part of this yes. game. And he dismantles Cejudo in the clinch in the first fight. They have their rematch. Of course, at UFC 227, uh, this is uh, August 4th, uh, 2018. Um, and again, um, you know, I'll let Drake, not that this matters, but I'll let Drake, when he weighs in on this fight, also let, let us know how he scored it, because I am curious mm-hmm. to know. But regardless of how you scored it, even if you scored it, you know, 1-3-4 um, or, you know, 1-3-5 or however you want to argue it, those last two rounds can go either way, I think. You can make arguments. Um, I, I, I gave it to Johnson, uh, I believe, 1-3-4. and four. I think I gave 2-5 and five to Cejudo. Um, but nevertheless, the judges end up giving it to Henry Cejudo, and it is a very fun fight. It's a competitive fight. You've got, obviously, technical wrestling. Um, part of me took away from it maybe because, you know, I feel like everybody um, loved this fight more than me at the time, and maybe that's my contrarianness. I'm like, oh, I, I picked Johnson and thought he won, and he didn't. Maybe that was part of bleed bled into it. So I go back to rewatch it when all any kind of sour grapes you may or may not have had hopefully have settled by now. And I was like, wow, this actually is a really good fight. We've got the classic 2-2 two to two going in. I know, because this just bumped Figueredo Moreno 1, which is an amazing fight. And that one, they think it's 2-2 two to two going in. But again, like I said, I I, I, I think a, a lot of people have uh, Figueredo still up, despite the, the point taken away. This one seems more of like, a, okay, we could really be 8-2-2, two and two, even though I kind of had it scored for DJ. And they are really swinging down to the wire, even one of those ones where it's like they are really going back and forth, like that whole round. You know, when um, I, I when I judge rounds, I use the the uh, the, the the horse carnival booth uh, analogy, where you're spraying the water gun to get the horse to go a couple paces, and you're racing everybody, everybody spraying into their hole to try to get their horsey to go across, and it's a race, right? Yeah. That's kind of how I judge fights. <laughs> yeah. I have two fighters, and they're, they're, they're horses, and if one lands a big strike, maybe they'll take three to five paces. If they land like a jab, it's like one to three paces, right? Um, if they get a close submission attempt, maybe I go one pace, even though most people will ignore all of that and body work because they overcorrect the fucking criteria. Yep. Not the conversation I'm going to try to get into here. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but, um, but, but you know, that, that's kind of what I use, and if you're using that analogy, they are literally neck and neck, back and forth, like in my head, and I've watched this fight with scoring even in mind multiple times 
And it's just such a fascinating fight, even from that perspective, from a fan perspective. And uh, also something that also puts it over the corner for me is in-corner moments, right? And again, yeah. sometimes they're cheesy, especially when you know you can accuse some 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 corner men of, of doing pre-recorded lines, like the corner men who know will always trash corner men. Uh, who do those lines because they know the fucking camera's on. And you could definitely <laughs> accuse Eric Albahasin as being one of those camera, camera, uh, pardon my language, folks, camera whores. No disrespect, but that's just the best, that's the best way to describe the man. Uh, as I far as... It's true. That's yes, true. <laughs> yes. But giving him, going to give him credit, I will say it definitely added to the fight when he's like, this is it, Henry. Burn the boats. Don't save anything. Take him down. Like, I love that, you know? And, like, Santino DeFranco, who never gets any of the credit for Fight Ready, despite all the credit right. poured into everybody over there. And he deserves the credit, by the way. He's actually giving, like, really, really good and poignant advice. Like, he's realistic and knows, like, he's, he says he says as much as, like, saying, without saying we're down as we can, where he goes, not even just saying we need the round, because he, Santino Smart, perhaps he might have scored it like I have, right? He, he's well aware that the judges could very well have this 3-1 against this. So he says... We don't just need the round. We need to hurt him because he knows we need either a finish or a 10-8 to, to, to secure this, right? So he has the more realistic view, even though that wasn't the case mm-hmm. and they won anyways. Right. Santino DeFranco has the more realistic view, but you have a great corner moment in there, which contributes to um, why I uh, why I like these fights. And, and you know, and, and yes, not that it, this should be the, the definitive to all, but yes, it's an important, and it is a great fight in the prestigious, whatever you want to call it. Like, it checks all, all those boxes. So, yeah, my number three, DJ uh, Cejudo 2. Sorry, sorry, cry. What do you got on this one, buddy? Sorry. All good, all down. good. Yeah, it's, uh, it really is just a fascinating, not just a fight, but the moment and, you know, I don't want to say rivalry or anything. I mean, even now, after you see how they're all friendly and all these things, just a fascinating sure. kind of sides that you can look at uh, of what MMA really is in the overall grand scheme. But what I think I love so much about this fight in particular is you it's kind of like, despite the fact that it is literally a sequel to the first fight, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's one of those that I think it builds off it in such a very natural and intriguing way where you look back at the first fight, right, Dan? And in that one, Henry does have his brief kind of moments of success where he gets, you know, his patented kind of inside trip takedown on Demetrius and gets him down for a little bit. And I remember very vividly watching that as it happens. And it was like, it was one of those moments where you're watching, you're like, oh, this is huge. This could be something here. He was able to do this to Demetrius. We kind of always knew, at least I thought, that Demetrius's biggest weakness was his wrestling, not that he was bad at it or anything, because he could obviously do everything very, very well. But if there was something you were to highlight as maybe what would be his downfall or what was the, 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 not the problem again, like just the, the thing you could maybe take advantage of what your best chance of doing that would be, would be in the wrestling. So when Henry showed that as of course you would expect him to, and why everyone gave him such a chance in the first fight, he had that moment in there and was like, all right, will this be something? Or is this where we're going to head? No, we weren't. But I feel like that moment right there was big and built and led into what happened in the rematch and how just, you know, it was cinema. It was MMA cinema, I think, for the reasons you mentioned with the corner stuff but how the fight played out. Beautiful scramble work, talking about scrambles again. Very competitive. Henry making his adjustments in the time between then, as we see in his fights there, obviously, with adapted karate style and not knocking out Wilson Hayes and everything. This fight... Just everything about the story of these guys in that time 
I love me a good story. So the way it progressed, very cinematic, I think, and then how it ends up playing out. And to go to the score conversation, Dan, this is also one of the this. I think this is the craziest, the craziest fight that I've seen in terms of my perspective and thoughts changing on it upon rewatches. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I first saw the fight live and in in real time and everything, I pulled up my scores for you here, so I got exactly how I felt in the moment. But okay. on first watch. I gave Demetrius 10 nines in the first two rounds and then 10 nines for Cejudo in the last three. So 48-47 for Cejudo on the first watch. And then going back more recently, uh, I think this was my second watch, actually. I pulled it up, but and I still feel this way. Big flip-flop, I scored it for Demetrius 1, 2, 3, and 5 and only gave Henry the fourth round on the second rewatch. But again, these, that makes it sound like it, oh, it's yeah. very close and I can yeah. understand very different ways that I can understand pretty much any scorecard for this for the most right. part, but uh-uh, I felt like I've never had such a drastic flip from that in terms of how I felt who won and whatnot. And even then I still feel that it was close and it can go back and forth. But I think that's kind of a testament to how great they both are as fighters and how competitive and their styles clashed so beautifully in that extended period when we got to see it go on and again, build off kind of the first fight. Mm-hmm. And it's really the grappling that kind of sells this one for me and how it might not have been as violently entertaining as let's say Smolka and Hollihan to go back to that. But in terms of technique, like what both of those guys displayed clashing, it just does not get much better than that. And there was that one particular scramble um, that DJ is escaping a takedown in what I want to say round three where he does kind of, uh, you know, Gramby roll and then goes around his back. Uh, just, it's cinema. Again, that's yeah. the best way I think to describe this fight. And everything about it, it is uh, it, it is just beautiful, man. And I would have loved so much to see a trilogy fight because I think, uh, obviously, that would have been justified <laughs> for many storyline purposes. Sure. And again, how competitive and close it was. And I've never, yeah, I've never had such a drastic um, kind of, perspective change at least in terms of scoring like that with any other fight in in my what near 14 years of being an ma fan now yeah i could see that so yeah no totally I mean, like i said that that, that cements it as far as this being a really interesting fight from a scoring perspective like alone and i I'd argue the fact that the fight the, the the fact that it didn't happen but the fact that their careers went the way they did after this fight almost makes this fight even more of like a gem you know, because right. they try it triggers like the what could ofs, what this, what that. You yeah. Know? You know what, what? 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 You know, it makes it more impressive because Henry went on to do some impressive things, at least on paper, even though there weren't a lot of volume of fights. But would he have been able to do those things if he if he doesn't get this fight scored his way? How does that go? Right? Does he pick up and leave? You know, uh, does Johnson still get disrespected, or does he actually get more credit despite being over in one and out of the purview of many North American fans. Like it, it brings about a lot of questions, right? So it's, that's, that's always fun. Yeah, for sure, man. All right. So this one didn't make a, make, make a spot on your list, but you do have your number two ready, right? Uh, that was my number two. That was your number two. Okay. So we flowed yeah, right yeah. into that. Okay. I'm gonna write that down yeah. for you. That's a solid, that's a solid number two, man. All right, Cejudo two. All right, well then Phrasing. I will, I will give my number two, then you will give your number one to close out. How about that? All right, sounds good. All right, well we're gonna stick with Demetrius Johnson. Um, this fight ranks above it for me because uh, this is one of the, you know, you're right, the takedowns and that, that note. I, I like that because like, 
you know, even in the first fight with Cejudo, it's like, well, we haven't seen anybody since, like, Ian McCall do that, right? And that was a, a guy who, uh, you know, we can talk about that fight, you know, in, in a little bit, maybe perhaps, regardless if it's on, on a list or not. But, yeah, um, you know, that was perhaps a, a seed planted there, right? Um, this guy, though, John Dotson, would not have a similar game plan. He, he, he And he could wrestle. But John Dotson was basically the bantamweight slash now flyweight because he started as a bantamweight with a tough series with T.J. Dillashaw, right? Knocked out T.J. Dillashaw, actually, right? Uh, people forget that, you know, in the tough finale to win that season. Goes down to flyweight, and he's essentially like a little Chuck Liddell. That's how I always compared him because he <laughs> it was just get-ups and devastating counterpunching. And, playing, and he would just play on the outside like Chuck. And it was just get-ups if you take me down and devastating. Yeah, he would do some flying knees and some wild stuff. And obviously, it wasn't. he obviously was not one-for-one one with a light heavyweight guy who loved to drink beers on the weekend. I'm not making a complete direct comparison. <laughs> but, like, you know, the stylistic bare bones, you could kind of see how that fight was. And it, and it made for a fun dynamic because Demetrius Johnson, he was already stand-switching at this time. Um, he's been incorporating wrestling since already his WEC days, right? Um, you know, uh, he's always been kind of improving on his jujitsu and scrambling to different degrees, right? You, even though, you know, like we said, strong wrestlers usually were somewhat of the best shot against him, at least to nullifying him. But as far as DJ putting it all together, and he would put it all together in the sense of he would strike from different stances and then switch to wrestling. And he would get a little better about striking off the break. And it's not that he wasn't putting things together. He was a flyweight. Of course he was well-rounded, right? He was a small flyweight and bantamweight. Of course he was well-rounded. But one could make the argument that we really don't start seeing him put everything together until his first fight with John Dotson at UFC on Fox 6. Well, three of uh, one of four times that the UFC would lean on Demetrius Johnson. Again, you know, uh, say what they will about, you know... Uh, lighter weight fighters, their attitude toward it. Say what you will about their attitude toward fighters at the negotiating table like DJ or Nate Diaz. Ironically, for people with no drawing power, these were who they leaned on repeatedly throughout the Fox era and who repeatedly delivered. Fancy that, folks. Fancy that. Fighting for low contracts, no pay-per-view points. Hmm, who was getting the better end of that deal? And who was still showing up to work? Fancy that. But yes, one of, one of four times they lean on DJ to headline a Fox show. Uh, was uh, Demetrius Johnson versus John, Dot John Dotson won, of course, January 26, 2013, over a decade ago. And this is a fight. old. Yeah, and this is a fight where not only you see him overcome adversity, because we've seen him overcome adversities, arguably in losses, right? Like you look at that Dominic Cruz fight he had. Um, that was also on a Fox property, by the way, by the way, folks. FX headliner. Um, he didn't really lose stock, and that was an amazing fight. That was a really fun fight where he lost, but he didn't lose any stock in that, right? Um, this is the first fight where like he has to overcome adversity and still win the fight, and he does. And as far as putting it all together, again, he was you know going from punching to wrestling, and he was changing phases. But what was the connecting piece? You know, like you know, it was the clinch, and this is where you really see the clinch just majesty. Uh, it, Excellence, um, whatever descriptor you want to use, it's 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 applicable for Mighty Mouse as long as it's a positive one. Um, and he takes, he literally finds out after getting dropped multiple times, he literally starts just taking Dotson apart inside the clinch for the last three rounds. And it's just such a beautiful masterclass to watch. It's one of my favorite fights in Fo on Fox. Made my top five uh, Fox fights, and it makes my top five 
uh, UFC flyweight fights at number two. And any thoughts on this one, Drake? I think it's a phenomenal shout, definitely. Um, it's kind of easy to forget a lot of, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think that's fair to say. I was going to say easy to forget a lot of how how great uh, Demetrius's performances were on his reign and maybe how high of quality the fights were. Um, so I'm glad that you're shouting that one out because it didn't make my list obviously here. Well, not obviously. We don't know my number one yet, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's... Uh, I, I think you broke that down perfectly. It's kind of it's easy to forget kind of, I think specifically with John Dotson and kind of the fear that he did present at that time. And I know that there are some people who do think he won that fight. I definitely don't agree with it. I know that I think he believes he won, of course, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's one it was one of those cases where it seemed like, oh, all right, we might have a very interesting challenge for Demetrius here, and people were interested in that rematch, which obviously was a lot more clear-cut because that's just what Demetrius usually did in his rematches. But, um, yeah, yeah, a good shout for sure. I, I, like the, I like the mention. Yeah, I will say, uh, even going back to be, like, kinder, like, even, even if some of these fights weren't graded under the current criteria where they're leaning toward impact, or I hate the word damage, which should only be applied to uh, if we're talking about 10-8s. But speaking about 10-8s, this is one of those fights where I think you could have said one of those fights for DJ could have been a 10-8 just on the damage alone that he was displaying to Dotson, which who does that to Don Dotson since, or before then, by the way? Like, he whooped him hard those last... <laughs> like, worse than the, the second fight, like those last couple rounds, like, he is flurring on him where you could have had a standing stoppage if it wasn't John Dotson being insanely durable and charismatic. But yeah, yeah. Um, that's a it's a it's, it's a fun fight to go back and rewatch. All right, that that ends it with number one time, baby. We already know my number one, so there's only one number one left. Drake, what is your number one UFC men's flyweight fight? All right, so we have mentioned it already, and kind of hard not to. And so let me preface this by saying I will completely concede that it might not, probably not the best fight in terms of a fight out of everything, maybe not everything we've mentioned so far, but this is my list. So this is my number one. Yes. <laughs> go. Holds, yes. This one holds Love it. a very close spot to my heart for multiple reasons, but it is Demetrius Johnson versus Ian McCall one, yes. which is the beginning, right? The beginning of it all for many reasons there. And I always was a very massive, uh, uncle creepy fan before he got in the UFC when he was the guy at flyweight, like he went into, the UFC in the tournament as the best flyweight in the world. So this was very fun for me just to see that happen and for him to finally get in there and, uh, you know, was hoped to be the poster boy. It didn't quite work out for him, unfortunately, but the fight still delivered. It was still very fun back and forth throughout. And you want to talk about going back earlier on our list, Dan has the controversies in spades, which you know might lower it or take it, take yes. away from it. in a lot yep. of respects for a lot of people, which it a hundred percent does for me too. I, was completely heartbroken to find out the error right after that because this is like you know my peak oh fandom yeah sure like it was at the press conference it was like are you fucking kidding me man like how do you how do you screw this up we had that sudden death coming which just every i think everything about it what makes it so special to me you know being the first fight being a very good fight but then you look at the fact that it was a part of something aside from being the beginning this was something the UFC doesn't do, right? Like this was the last real tournament they've done outside of Ultimate Fighter, or the you know things yeah. that directly in the UFC to even have the possibility of going to a sudden death fourth round in the case of a draw, which is what it ended up being. Like, 
because you know you if you weren't around at the time you just look at the records now and you see that again going to the controversy it was announced as demetrius winning right right in the octagon so it was like oh what is going on after and at the end we always remember the very famous uh final what minute or so in the third round of uh yeah. ian mccall dropping his ground and pound on demetrius's back looking like he's going to get the finish maybe showboats a little bit too soon to take away some seconds of finishing it off but I just kind of the ebbs and flow of the fight. Like Demetrius starts off very strong, and then Ian, you know, comes back and implements wrestling and able to get Demetrius to the ground where he can get him in that position and nearly finish it and whatnot. But there's just a lot of a lot of different elements to this fight that make it so special for me. And again, I'm a sucker for stories, and you know, being the very beginning and all the other stuff that go around it. But um, it's it's just classic flyweight, you know fighting at at its uh, at its best a little bit and for me it's always gonna hold a special spot and so that's why it's my number one <laughs> man I'm glad you made this on the list I, you know I really wanted to put put this one on too because I was, I was a Ian McCall fan and by the way a blasphemy on me on the setup that's what I missed to talk about Tachi Palace Tachi Palace baby. yeah uh, we talked about WEC not offering that. Tachi Palace was a California West Coast MMA promotion that did um, offer lighter weight classes. So you had guys like Daryl Montague, who had a cup of coffee in the UFC at that point, yep. uh, was a taller flyweight. Um, and he was going against guys like uh, Ian McCall for the t- title. Juicier Formigo was over there. That's how people like myself um, got onto him. I believe they had a deal with HDNet, I want to say, back in the day, back in that era, where like you could like, yes. just that, yep. that, that's how I was able to watch like. MFC up in Canada. I was able to watch like uh, you know uh, what do you call uh, Marlon Sandro versus uh, Hayoki in Japan in a ring. Like shouts to HDNet as well, by the way, back at that time. But those, Tachi, those were fun days. And, and even not even just in flyweight. I mean, even in their bantamweight, they had a lot of names you would like soon become familiar with. Like they had a young Michael McDonald over in Tachi Palace in their bantamweight. So apologies for your hardcores that were screaming at your sets at the beginning. Uh, we did not forget about Tachi Palace. We're just late to mention that. Dustin Ortiz. Yes, Dustin Ortiz. He was a, he was he was he was a mainstay there too as well. Um, who will will definitely give a shout out on this list because he was just another guy. It's just like he got lost from the flyweight purge and then it had, he hasn't been active. It looks like he he's having trouble even like getting picked up because again, if if the if the if the bigger the reason why we're so critical on the UFC, they set the standard for and roll down. If if they don't treat the fighters or promote the fighters a certain way, why should the lower promotions do it, right? So you see certain fighters like the Dustin Ortiz's of the world, unfortunately, catch strays. That guy could compete with anybody in the weight class. Really fun scrambler. Um, but yeah, I really, lo- I really loved. It. So yeah, just just having that even loose awareness. Like I was a uh, big fan of you know Uncle Creepy coming in. Of course, he has the haircut. You know, and they show he's got the emo hair. Like it looks like he's kind of like uh, My Chemical Romance looking hair. You know, like he's totally yes. like I'm not okay like i could just hear that as he's walking out pretty much um and like but it's like i don't know if i, I want to speak for yourself drake i came up in that era and have some you know probably embarrassing photos of me with some you know bandanas and tight jeans in the hardcore uh youth crew days where we were fighting skinheads and looking like silly bastards ourselves which made it even more funnier so i am not judging i am just in fact uh, relating like that looks like a guy that yeah. was probably maybe not in my direct circle but we would have been hanging out in the same room <laughs> right, Drake. Come on, that's been some of that for you. No, no, I <laughs> totally. I mean, I remember speaking of HDNet. I remember Inside MMA and when he made. I think he was only on once because yeah. I was watching yes. that show every week with that's Boss right. and uh, Kenny Rice. Shout out to them. But I remember he was on as one of the guests one one of the weeks. And uh, yeah, it was like it was like peak 
peak uncle creepiness where he had his eyeliner on and like you know his fingernails colored and the yeah. haircut and he looked exactly out of a band like you were saying <laughs> i think he was like he was dating or like fiance or something was like a hairdresser so like you could feel like she was she probably just treated him so. like his dress-up doll and he would do you just dress him up yeah. and send him out the door <laughs> <laughs> he'd just go wrestle people down uh that was a great that's a great shot though Ortiz. yeah doesn't he uh i thought of this the other day when looking at him again i was like he kind of looks like a, a mini uh physique to me he does he a comparison there i <laughs> dustin ortiz i think mini is the, is the right word i'm not trying to make the obvious joke or fucking no. dunk on people's size or whatever but i, I would all say this dustin ortiz because he he had like god there's no respectful way to say this but like <laughs> there's a lot of short guys in the division right you know where i'm going with this right yeah, there's a lot of short guys in the. I'm not commenting on size, and I'm, I'm really not trying to be that guy here. I'm not. I'm not telling myself. I'm. I'm apparently short at five nine now. I went from average to short. Um, in the uh, we're short in, now, Dan. I'm five nine as well. <laughs> I haven't been on Tinder in a while, but from like being on there a couple of years ago, I, I found out that that was short. So I don't know. I don't know what the kids are going by these days. So I'm definitely not trying to throw strays out there, folks. But I'm gonna say. He's kind of dwarfish, right? Like, is that the proper term? Like, he very like he looks like he looks like I don't know if you're. I was like I was a fan of the movie Willow growing up, and he looks like one of the people who helped Willow on his journey, like to start off. Like he looks. No, I'm serious. Like there is a character that looks just like Dustin Ortiz. I don't know if it was his dad, but I'm like, holy crap! And then like he goes around like in every Instagram photo, he would always have the axe. He's like, stay shopping, and I'm like, stop right. making yourself look like this character. I'm trying to be polite and politically correct. And disassociate that. Stop leaning into it, Dustin. <laughs> Do not show That's up to Lord of the Rings thing. premieres with that axe, sir. Please stop. Sorry. No, no, just, no. Just... <laughs> oh, that was me. I'm That's sorry. Hilarious. I'm sorry. Um, last thing on that fight, though, I want to say is that uh, speaking of 10-8s, right? Like, you could have gone 10-8. Only one judge did. Yeah. I believe it was Saudi Amato that was the only judge that went 10-8. And I think you could even have had a cheeky argument for number, round one, if a judge misses the point where Ian McCall gets kind of briefly rocked because it's easy to miss. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. It's easier to miss than you realize. Like We have the benefit of a, of a good camera angle and the fact that the commentary both caught it and cites it. So us at home can be like, oh, yeah, we know what's going on now. But, like, it's different from when you're from that judge's chair. Like, you, you don't catch everything the other judge catches all the time, which is an unfortunate mm -hmm. truth. But um, this also is in 2012, right? So they're not as liberal with 10-8s. They're not as emphasizing on impact or the damage aspect of the 10-8 or the round scoring. So therefore, you only get one judge going there, which actually is kind of surprising. I think it's a 10-8, of course. I am Mr. fucking 10-8. But I'm actually, even though I think it was the right score that Sal did, you know, um, a draw, I, I'm actually surprised they gave that round a 10-8, even though I feel like it deserves it. Does that make sense, Drake? Right. No, yeah, I hear you. I, I was kind of, um, yeah, yeah, especially when you look back on it, um, for sure. All right, let's get to some uh, listener lists, and then we'll get to our, our honorable mentions. How about that, shall we? Okay, my, of course my guy goes Phantom. He would be in the chat if we were going live, but uh, he is a 9H6ST21. Uh, it's a little uh, fancy way to do ghost there on Twitter with the at in front of it. He mm -hmm. has just one suggestion for me. Luis Smoka versus Patty Houlihan for some awesome grappling. All right, sir. Absolutely. Uh, I got Ben the Baines Davis saying that he wrestled Bob Backlund. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. That's just in my mentions. <laughs> um, we got I don't someone, remember that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we got we got uh, we got someone at, at Cameron Crawford. Um, he I don't know if he's trolling me here because he puts some like light heavyweight fights randomly. He goes Figueroa versus Moreno. I don't know which one he's saying. 
He says Johnson versus Cejudo too. All right, we're with you there. John Bones Jones versus Daniel Cormier. Those guys could yep. not make flyweight. I'm sorry. <laughs> he has Benavidez versus Cejudo. That was uh, that was up there for me. Uh, didn't make the list obviously, but that's a you know yeah, another same. split decision fight. By the way, folks, for those keeping track at home, there was a lot of body work uh, Cejudo does, right? And a lot of body work both ways in the uh, DJ Cejudo 2 fight. Uh, split decisions. Again, just, just, just for the people tracking at home, uh, what is what is uh, hard, hard just remains hardest to be counted, and it is hard to, to, to account for. But body work, baby, it's hard to account for. Um, Kaposa at Grabaka underscore Hitman, if you're not following him, I don't know what you're doing watching this show. He goes, not right. the best, just my faves in no particular order. He has smoke a hand, which makes me feel less crazy. God no little Lineker, he's with us there. Chanel yep. Sumadarji, he's with us there. Figueredo Moreno 1, he's with us there. All right, okay. DJ Cejudo 2, wow, he pretty much, he has like four out of five so we, of we know that we're not crazy then. <laughs> yeah, he's named four out of five of my list. And like I said, Figueredo Moreno 1. It was your number three, and it was my number three up until like yes. the 11th hour. So that's that's good. His honorable mentions, I like this. He's got Delos Reyes versus uh, Sang Cha'an. I, I didn't get a chance to go back and watch this, but I, I did uh, go back and watch a, a underrated guy, Neil Siri. He doesn't get a lot of love. And Sang Cha'an, Delos Reyes fight. Um, Pantoja Moreno, too. Obviously, their first fight technically took place on tough. Um, so it was a three-round decision that Pantoja won, but Moreno showed improvements. You could see glimpses, and Pantoja even acknowledged it. It's a great shout. He's got Elliot versus Smolka, which is like your classic scramble fest fight. I wouldn't blame anybody for putting that on yeah. there, by the way. Um, <laughs> that, a lot that's of Tim- quite a gem, that one. I'm glad, he, I'm glad he mentioned that one. Yeah, there's a lot of good Tim Elliott fights, by the way. And, and, and one that no one mentioned, by the way, that actually would be just as close to making it as Smolka. It would be right up there with Smolka, to be honest, is... Uh, Tim Elliott versus Jared Papazian. Go back and watch that. It's like mm-hmm. a decade old. It's off a tough finale. It's uh, Tim's first stint, second stint. I don't know, beginning of the second stint he has with the UFC. But it's an amazing fight. You don't just get the fun scrambles that are prevalent um, in all Tim Elliott fights. But this fight actually has a lot of fun back and forth striking of like guys rocking, dropping, cutting, bleeding each other all over the place for like three rounds straight. Um, it's a really underrated fight that not enough people talk about. Um, DJ versus Benavidez one he also has okay that's a that's a classic I, I love Joe B I felt bad I wanted Joe B to be on my list so bad Drake yeah. but for me his best fights were like Bantamweight like WEC maybe just the era I'm from but like if we're going top five flyweight finishes Joe B would absolutely be on our top five right right but as yeah. far as fights you know, like, I mean just there just there yeah, because in terms of the fights, I mean, just for spoilers on the honor, we've already mentioned them, but uh, yeah, yes. Benavidez and Cejudo was one I wanted to shout. And then I, the first, to me, the, I think the first Demetrius fight is maybe one of the most forgotten, like, great fights, honestly, in MMA history. You think about DJ versus Benavidez one was like, that was a very competitive fight. And I don't, I don't remember seeing much controversy about Benavidez not winning, but I know that, you know, it was close enough to where I think you could have scored it for him. And it was... It was a it was a very good fight, obviously better than the second one, but like right. that one is one of the most hidden gems or forgotten, I think, great fights, especially title fights in MMA history. Absolutely, and I, uh, you know, 
it, it's underrated, and it probably would have made my number one as far as like most anticipated flyweight fights because it's one of my most anticipated fights ever, like regardless of division. And I, mm-hmm. I, I bring this up uh, to touch on why I wanted Benavides because I was a big Benavides fan, and a lot of people were. And people forget this. Like, it's looked at as DJ's division. You forget how dominant he was, you know. People were speaking. Like, I went back to watch Neil Siri versus Horiguchi, another underrated fight, and they were like, Horigu- mm-hmm. they were like, these guys actually, you know, even Neil Siri has an underrated uh, claim for the title here. He's on a three-fight winning streak, and if he upsets Horiguchi, that's four, and he's in title contention. And they're like, granted, no one's going to... They're even, like, openly saying, like, granted, I don't know how much of a reward that is. You get to fight DJ, like, talking... You know, because and which is good, they should be giving DJ that respect, right? But you forget how dominant, how much it was his division. But you also forget that he was under, he was like looked at as a novelty fighter, like oh he was Mighty Mouse, he's the small guy you make take a picture next to Stephen Struve. Oh, Brad Pickett beat him in WWE. <laughs> yeah, we weren't that long from Brad, and I love Brad Pickett by the way. We weren't that long yes. from Brad Pickett beating him, and Joe B. Joseph Benavidez was like the guy that was like oh. He's like under Faber. He's the next guy to come. Like we were hearing about Joseph Benavides for a while before even he made his name in the WEC because Faber was pumping him up as his guy back in the Dizzy Dizzy, right? And mm-hmm. it was so so so. Not only do you have that, so by the time 2012 comes around, Benavides has already been on the purview, putting in great fights since what 09 uh, on a main stage at this point. So by the time 2012 right. comes along and this inception, people, including myself and Junkie Nation, who were big fans and would interview Joby. We were like anointing this guy, and many were. They were anointing him as as Joseph Benavides when they announced this division. People were referring it to Joseph Benavides' yep. as division. People forget that nobody gave DJ a shot. It was a four man tournament. Pe- pe- people yeah. were probably more interested in who the new Japanese face was than DJ or, or <laughs> Uncle Creepy because people were like hardcores, and he's marketable to like casual. So Uncle Creepy is like quietly picking up steam right in this turnaround. Like DJ was 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 probably the least thought of guy. You know, so to make yeah. more of that that matchup even more important in the historical spectrum, how important DJ Benavidez one was for people that weren't around then. Yeah, and it's crazy too because like that was obviously a fight that could have happened at bantamweight in WEC before even when it did happen, and it's kind of I'm kind of glad that it ended up happening when it did, obviously because it turned out as great as it was. But yeah, very uh, very crazy when you look at the history and how everything came together there. Absolutely. Uh, finishing off listener list, I got two more here. Uh, Rio Sozin Truesdale at Rio Sozin on Twitter. Of course, he's a normal who pops into the chat here. Uh, he has his number one is Cejudo Johnson two, more, more than fine for a number one. His number two is Figgy Moreno one. Again, more than fine it's, uh, to make the list here. Uh, number three, Moreno France two. Fun technical fight. Not a bad shot. That was a re- really fun fight. Um, not a bad shot at all. More recent, but but good yeah. shot. Number four, he has Horiguchi versus Baga Utinov. Obscure shout out. You know I appreciate those. <laughs> of course, <laughs> that was a that was a meaningful fight at the time for sure because Baga Utinov, oh, I believe, yeah. was coming off of his failed title and failed drug EPO thing. I believe even at the time, right? If if, if history lines up, and then yes. of course. Horiguchi, um, when they were still trying to build him and they rushed him to the title, of course. Royville versus Kaikara France makes his number five. That, that that was an honorable mention. That was that was one that I thought was going to maybe be somewhere on there, sneak a top five spot. Um, when I went back to watch it, maybe it was because it was the pandemic era. Maybe it was because I, I cashed a bet that on a dude that shouldn't have been an underdog. Um, that maybe makes it more brighter in my memory and that personal bias bleeding in that we talk about, right? <laughs> uh, but when I went to yeah. watch it kind of unbiasedly, it was still really good. But uh, and it still haven't had back and forth swings, but just quite didn't make the list. But an amazing fight that that deserves shout. So, 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't really go wrong with either of those guys' fights, if we're being totally honest. Absolutely. Uh, right. on, uh, on Horiguchi and uh, Bagotinov. Right. Yeah, it was funny. They were, talking about, they were talking about, even from that Siri fight, like building him back. The Siri fight came before that, I believe. They're talking about building him back to our title shot. But, of course, again, man, a lot of these moves kind of make maybe more sense in hindsight when you look at the money and the opportunities that they were offering. You right. Know? You know? Um, yeah. I, I blame these fighters a lot less for leaving, believe me. Uh, my, my man, Ricardo, at Richard underscore Reina. Uh, here's his list. He actually did one on fan site. I didn't even realize he did this, so I definitely want to shout, shout him. My guy Richard Rayner there. Good dude. Um, okay, so his top five flights. I'm obviously not going to read uh, anything you have written, but I will read the top five. Does it show it? Next. Okay, i got to hit next here. Um, number five, he has Brandon Moreno versus Kai Car France 2. He's got an explanation there if you want to go see on fan site. Follow him again at uh, Richard underscore Reyna. Um, his number four is... Joseph Benavides versus Henry Cejudo. Again, we mentioned it. If there was a fight, flyweight mm-hmm. fight for Benavides that would have the best case for this list, it absolutely would be that fight. Um, really good fight. You could you could go either way. Again, you know, again, but back to body work, making for controversy, right? Uh, being the hardest things for judges to grade. We get another controversial split, and and Henry Cejudo was blasting body uh, body work the whole time. Um, but you know, also, but you also have him the forward pressure, forward pressuring, and. Well, you've got Benavidez kind of skirting the outside and countering, which is also a style that's not very highly graded. So the judges almost didn't <laughs> didn't know where to go for this fight. <laughs> Did you have a score for this fight, by the way, Drake? Oh man, uh, it's I didn't get to rewatch it before uh, before doing sure. the show here, but I I, I did. Um, I remember thinking that Cejudo did win that one, even despite the. Um, despite obviously the foul and point deduction he had for with the nut shot in the first round. Um, but, but you know, it was a great, great close to the ultimate fighter that year. Great fight that I'm very happy happened. Uh, I kind of wish we got a rematch of that at some point, but um, yeah, very competitive. I understand both, both scores in both directions for it, even with, uh, um, you know, the, the point deduction in there, I can see it going both ways or, or even a draw depending on how you feel. But yeah, it was, yeah. It was great. Absolutely, I, I agree with that. Number three, uh, he's with you here, Demetrius Johnson versus Ian McCall. First one. Assuming the first one, second one, yes. not so much. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much at all. Very disappointing, especially as an Ian McCall yeah, fan. Was, uh, number two, he has Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno, UFC 256, so he also likes that first one the best. Mm-hmm. Good taste, sir. And number one, Demetrius Johnson versus Henry Cejudo, too. This seems to be, again, the, like I said, the most, the most yeah. common one on the list for good reason. So definitely don't have to defend um, that selection there. Did I get anything on Twitter? I didn't do a formal post. I know I said follow at the PYM podcast, and I ended up posting everything from my account this week. I'm out of practice, <laughs> folks, this week. But um, cleaning up the honorable mentions before we get out of here, Drake, anything that wasn't mentioned and all that that you want to mention before we get out of here? Any fights? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was mentioning in terms of the back end, the four and the five spots that – Initially, I had it in there, and it just fell out. I think in terms of, not that I didn't want to put two of this guy's fights in there, because obviously Johnson in there twice, but right. uh, I just Same. felt put a little bit more just chaos and fun, just by a sliver, kind of, with Lineker versus Gaudino over Lineker versus Ol' Alp Oskalich. You remember this? Yes, one? this was a good one. Oh, yeah. Oskolich really went, 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 he really put himself through it, man, in that fight. Yeah, just, I mean, that was one Jesus. of those fights where you know, the, you, you want to look at some good 
refined boxing in mixed martial arts. That was uh, that was one that always stood out to me. And of course, and whenever it ends with a finish and a late one like that, I really want to give some love to that one. I'm surprised that not, not even Kaposa shouted that one out. I'm ashamed of him. Yeah, Oskolich, man. I believe he was a, a Long a Long Island or New York area guy too. I believe. Um, I don't know if uh, Keith Trimble's in his corner or who was in there, but I believe he was a New York guy. Don't be mistaken by the name. Um, that's a great shout. Yeah, that, that is a great shout. Uh, another main card opener flyweight fight that was good. By the way, Chanel Shumadarji was a main card opener, so you love to see it. Again, this is why I'm. it's my favorite spot on a card, May 19, if in case anybody noticed. Outside of pay-per-views, the co-main, there's no co-main events anymore. I know we like to pretend that it's a thing. I know I have yeah. a column where I write up the co-main. I Believe me, I get paid for writing a co-main event. I'm not trying to speak it completely out of existence. I, I, I make a paycheck for writing it. But it's not, it's not a real spot. Um, what remains a real spot on the card that is completely always thrown a middleweight or some other random slot is the main card opener. So, uh, But another Joseph Silva main card opener for their very first card on ESPN. They went to the Flyweights to open it up and the Flyweights to headline it. How about that, huh? For non-needle movers there, what do you know? Their first broadcast, their first impression, Drake, they open and close with Flyweights. Is... Can we, can, we, can, can we stop calling people like me crazy for just suggesting something that they themselves <laughs> have set the standard for, that they themselves have made work, that they themselves created? Sorry. Just saying. Just saying. Right, right. Just saying. God forbid <laughs> nope, you put sorry, light away. <laughs> no, why, 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 would we, why would we make our product better by – why would we kill three birds with one stone by making our product better, pleasing the audience, and promoting under-promoting divisions all in one swift move? Why, why would we do that? That crazy. makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. <laughs> um, Alexandre Pantoja versus Davis and Figueredo, I thought would get some some love and some honorable mentions. Mm. That was one I have written down here. Tim Elliott versus Brandon Royville was a was a fun fight. Uh, again, I would probably go Tim Elliott Papazian or Tim Elliott versus Smoka over that fight. But one of the many fun Tim Elliott catalogs, even though he loses that one. Um. Mm-hmm. Last two uh-huh. for me. Last two for me. I'll, I'll throw out there: Kyoji Horiguchi versus Neil Siri. I kind of already mentioned. It was was it was it was pretty fun, competitive. Nothing too crazy. But this one actually worth going back to watch. Was fun. Um, I can watch, of course. Scotty Jorgensen made his name at bantamweight primarily, but like I mentioned, a lot of these guys from the WEC came over, were able to kind of find or at least you know mess with like even Brad Brad Pickett dabbled. We forget Brad Pickett dabbled at 125 for a couple fights. Even yeah. fought Ian McCall. Um, so that was kind of cool to see these like WEC stalwarts kind of dip down. Danny Martinez, an Alliance MMA guy, um, not the greatest record, obviously, on the higher level, but a very fun fighter. Um, and yeah, that, that's all I have written down here. Any anything else you want to mention before we get out of here, Drake? Uh, you cut out in a couple spots there, Dan. So sorry if I am repeating here, but I also uh, yeah. wanted to mention Dustin Ortiz versus Zach Makovsky. Give some shouts to Zach Makovsky specifically, who nice. uh, you know a yes. guy. Very fun fighter during his fun size, if you will. Yes. Uh, had some good ones in there. But the Ortiz one, I remember being one that was kind of like, oh, we're finally we're getting these uh, these flyweight kind of staples that have been around for those who have been following, you know, flyweight division for a good while. Once those guys kind of met, it was uh, exactly as you hoped it to, hoped it would have been and probably could have won fight of the night that night if it wasn't on the great UFC uh, 206 card, which was obviously the same night as Cub Swanson and, uh, you know, Superboy, so <laughs> kind of not going to beat that one, but it was still very fun and uh, definitely worth a rewatch. I'm glad you mentioned Zach Makoski. I feel like Benavidez and Makoski are probably my favorite flyweights, and I barely mentioned them, and they're not on my lists. Um, <laughs> you you got to be like more of like a 
technical super nerd and a hipster to really appreciate Zach Makovsky, but like honestly, like folks, he's an amazing fighter. I'm not just saying that because we've done podcasts together and he follows me, and I feel really disrespectful for not mentioning him. But honestly, and I've told him this before, like uh, his single leg chains. If you want to like learn single leg snatch chains, as far as connecting it to your boxing within MMA, go watch Zach Makovsky fights. Um, if you like Nate Diaz and you like the one two that he th- throws. Um, Zach Makovsky does it uh, as well. I believe he's a southpaw as well. I don't know if he does it like Nate from southpaw. But, yeah, he's got that timing where he throws the one and then the two right behind it. Like, he does really sneaky boxing stuff. Like, obviously, scrambling is on point. He's a flyweight. He's a, he's, a, he's got a wrestling background. He's a good submission fighter. Um, fought some really tough dudes in the regionals since the UFC. Again, one of these guys that just, you know, like... Again, like Dustin Ortiz, again, they, they deserve so much more, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, at least he got didn't seem to have too much trouble getting booked compared to maybe a, a guy like Ortiz, but, like, he's having to go over to Russia to face, like, killers and stuff for, like, you know, it, 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 it's a tough road. These guys are amazing. Yeah. They're just such amazing representatives of our sport, and they just they deserve a lot more love, which is why we did this. Right, Drake? Absolutely, man. And, hey, we see an Bellator open up the floodgates now, so... Could always come back home. He was the former champ there, right, Mr. Makovsky? Hey, very apropos, right? And the next time we do one of these episodes, we may have to just uh, revise it and then open it up once all these bigger organizations uh, start opening up their flyweight divisions, right? Yeah, totally. The more the merrier. Well, yeah, especially with worldwide expansion and stuff, you can get those lighter weight classes from different parts of the world, uh, perhaps at more better numbers, too, you could argue. But this has been fun, Drake. I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, I won't bring you back on for another flyweight one unless it's a female one. Um, obviously, that's what you specialize in, and obviously, I'm probably going to be coming back to you for that. But I was really happy that you obliged me and joined me for this one so we could finally uh, get our feet wet in one of these together, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure, man. Of course, very excited to work with the great Dan Tom in any capacity. So when uh, you reached out to me, I was like, oh, yeah, we, we definitely got to get on this. Glad to do it for something uh, where we can spotlight these guys who definitely deserve it. And so many great memories and fights. Just like going through the time machine here and remembering where I was when I watched these for the first time was like some good some good moments of being a fan man and it makes me makes me wish I could go back and like just wipe the brain and do it all over again you know <laughs> it, it does and you know what as i'm looking back at my notes it's an even more of a blasphemy that i didn't mention tachi palace because i wrote one specific honorable mention for people to go check out that wouldn't have been on this list because it wasn't in the ufc that is juicy formiga versus ian mccall tachi palace fights eight yeah. february 18 2011 2011 man holy crap i didn't even have my first amateur fight yet um, was a sophomore. Gee, sentimented exactly. We'll definitely be getting together, together more, man. I, I definitely dig the cut of your jib, sir. However, you want to take that, it's a positive thing. Um, of course. So hopefully, you had a good time being on. Do you want to uh, plug anything on the way out? Shout anything on the way out? That the stage is yours, sir. Yeah, appreciate it always as always, Dan. Always happy to uh, do something like this in any capacity. And yeah, if you guys uh, enjoy my takes and opinions all that good stuff you can follow me at drake griggs underscore on twitter and instagram mostly a twitter guy everything goes there and follow my work at mmamania.com that is the main home base for everything all types of content interviews news all that good stuff and then i do the morning report uh throughout the week for mma fighting so you can see that every morning getting you uh everything going on in the world of mma then i've also been doing speaking of spotlights i've been doing some spotlight pieces for forbes as well just on the side so if you want to go see kind of breakdowns and my thoughts of people's potential to be champs by the end of the year that's kind of what we're doing right now looking at who 
you know, certain what their odds are. And it's kind of centered around the betting aspect. So if you're into that kind of thing, trying to give you my perspective and thoughts on the likelihood of that and some of these fighters who uh, deserve that spotlight and whatnot. So there's that. And then, of course, uh, my main podcast, I got Broad Horizon speaking to all the uh, big Ryzen fighters or affiliates with Japan and that kind of stuff every month. So uh, we will have episode 27 coming here next week. I'm planning to drop that. So I will give you uh, I'll give you the spoiler alert here. But we have uh, Juan Archuleta who's competing uh, coming up here soon again for the title against Kai Asakura. That is not me breaking any news. That's what they've already said. I'm not getting in trouble or anything, but he's on the show. And then uh, Claire Lopez also who won recently. Those are the two guests for Bron Rising episode 27 coming next week. MMAmania.com where you can find all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much again, Dan. Again, utilize Drake, folks, especially for, like, if you're not, like, you know, uh, following some of these fields that maybe he specializes in, then the more of a reason to follow him. That's why I put his handle. He's active with all of his stuff there uh, on Twitter and other places. But just in case you need a place to kind of tassel it down to start and, and, and to, te- you know, tether it down and find him from there, at Drake Riggs with the underscores you see on the screen for all his fantastic content, which it is fantastic. Uh, appreciate you for being here. Uh, one last shout, Ray Borg versus Dustin Ortiz I forgot to put on there because I, I tweeted out what's the best Dustin Ortiz fight. And uh, shout out to Dan Levy who said Ray Borg by a country mile. That's probably one of my favorites too because I, I remember watching that one live and it was our first introduction to Ray Borg. And, you know, again, didn't pan out that great for him, especially at 125, but a fun fight to revisit nonetheless. This was a fun revisit with my guy Drake. Of course, you can find me at Dan Tom MMA. Follow the podcast to contribute at the PYN Podcast on all social platforms. I don't pollute your feed. Of course, we are brought to you by, uh, hosted by my website, MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, where you can find smartphone-friendly players for all these in case you're an audio listener not on iTunes and you're tired of waiting for my half-a-decade effort to finally get on Stitcher and SoundCloud. (laughs) Smartphone-friendly players on my site. That means you can play it. You can go off of the screen and go to do whatever you want. And it'll still play, and then you can like shut your iPhone, and it'll still like show like it's an iTunes player, and you can pause it, and you can do everything you you do with a normal player there. So please don't complain. Uh, Dan Tom MMA <laughs> on YouTube, if you want to watch this, and you're one of those weirdos. Um, hopefully, uh, it, it, it looks okay on my end. Drake's everything he did came uh, through okay. If there's anything wrong, blame me. Hopefully, that's enjoyable. Give it a like. Give it a thumbs up. Subscribe if you want to contribute to this show, any others. Comment your top fives below. Always welcome on these lists. Contributions also always welcome with super likes, super chat donations, or any of those weird YouTube things. Of course, if you do want to just give money straight up, there is a PayPal link that is secure. Dan Tom MMA, which you can find again at mixedmarshallanalyst.com under the Amazon and Audit click-through banners, where if you do, for some reason, you want to shop there, you want to ease your conscience, you can just click through once. Do your shopping and a small percentage, I know extra cost to you, gets kicked back to this here program. And uh, I occasionally shout and read off things on the list that people buy, but don't worry. You won't tell me who bought what, so <laughs> wink, wink. You can get a little fun and creepy. No judgment. <laughs> judgment-free zone here. As long as you're supporting the show. Again, at Dan Tommy at the PYM Podcast. Appreciate all your support. And until next time, always protect your ass. <laughs>